I'm watching um, Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 1, and um, part of this mind shift has also been seeing things from a different perspective and everything. In the original times that I watched this show, um, I swear half the time I don't remember. But uh, now it's the episodes are really... I mean, I do remember the Scorpion episode, but it, uh, there's two two-part series and everything, and... Uh, it's more or less where the Borg uh, meet this uh, species uh, 8472 is what they, refer re what they referred to. Now, what ends up happening was the 8472 ends up devastating the Borg, causing massive problems with the Collective and everything. The Collective has no defense against them. So it becomes this war against them. The Voyager is, uh, strikes a deal with the Borg to basically allow the... Um, the Borg to travel, or the uh, Voyager to travel through Undine, or through Borg space, and to be able to, uh, in, in exchange for, the Voyager will help them uh, overcome the problems when it comes down to resolving the issues with uh, Species 8472. Now, to me it's um, evident that there's a little bit more going on than meets the eye to all of this. So, the idea and concept that um, the Borg are still trying to go through the process of assimilate humans, but they don't know how. They're trying, and in this case right here, um, what ends up happening is they in, they assimilate. Um, uh, Janeway ends up getting teleported to the uh, um, to the Borg ship, and then there's a trans a transmission that occurs slightly after that too. That's uh, it is of Janeway. Now the episode per portrays Janeway as not being assimilated, but she talks with tonal differences. Um, she's a little bit more monotonic than usual, a little bit more calculated and uh, mechanical. Um, very very subtle nuances and everything. And it's my belief that uh, that she has in actuality been assimilated um, already as an as an individual and everything, and she's commanding Voyager to do what she does and everything through this process of assimilation. Now, this um, belief, this suspicion and everything is validated later in Star Trek Discovery where the Borg nanoprobes um, actually assimilate a human, um, the leader of uh, Starfleet Intelligence and everything, without anybody being aware that he's actually been assimilated. Um, the same kind of method and everything, I suspect, is actually used for this, and that the Borg are, um, they portray themselves as being less advanced, uh, be, you know, through the show and everything, uh, under the guise of fiction, but uh, it's not necessarily the case, and uh, what ends up happening is they end up um, believing, you know, that uh, to some degree the free will acceptance of the Borg nanoprobes is what's responsible uh, for um, to some degree, taking over or taking control of a collective. So this is actually something I just now realized was at the Borg, they don't try to assimilate species at the individual level. They try to spe uh, to do the assimilation process through the the collective itself, and that's what they're doing with the humans, is they're experimenting with collective methods of assimilation. So why, you know, let's say you can infiltrate one member of society, and that one single member can collectively overtake and can take control of an entire civilization. 
you know that's that's a, what I suspect the theory that they're working with is so in any case um, what ends up happening is they um, willingly inject the uh, the nanoprobes into Harry Kim who's suffering from this strike from um, species 8472 now I don't know if the Borg are aware but uh, because of the Borg's experimentation with DNA they are the ones responsible for actually creating species 8472 so that fight that battle um, they're actually you know in the process of uh, trying to actually assimilate humans and in the process they have acquired DNA samples clearly and uh, the DNA samples make it so where they can actually um, do this process of, of assimilating humans um, what they feel is what a human is through the process of um, of injecting the nanoprobes in what is quote-unquote a willing subject, believing that the willing subject in this case is unconscious and uh, that that's what, what free will is, is, you know, from a collective perspective and everything, free will is the will of the collective on the individual's, uh, on the, uh, the demo democratic will of the collective on the individual. And that's that's not individuality. That's a collective understanding of individuality, and it's a very interesting perspective and everything. So, in any case, I thought it was interesting that uh, the first time I watched this, you know, I watched it naively, believing that uh, Jane was still, you know, human. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing the subsequent episodes and everything on this and just seeing the personality changes. I suspect there's going to be some personality changes after her visit to the Borg ship and everything. It's subtle, again, but she's distinctively, um, she has distinctively been, you know, I mean, my bet is that uh, being on the ship and everything, she has ingested nanoprobes without being aware of it. And uh, that, you know, reinforces the assimilation process, and she starts losing her free will, and you know, it starts getting overridden by, you know, by the Borg Collective and everything as well. So, in any case, I mean, you can't think you can visit somebody's uh, air, uh, somebody's place that you go to breathe and everything, and not actually uh, consume some of the particles and everything, which definitely has me thinking about my travels abroad and the influences I've had as well. And incidentally, to elaborate on Harry Kim's situation, he uh, he was struck by a species 8472, and um, he subsequently ended up starting to go through this whole um, assimilation process as well. So a very similar process, as observed from the outside, occurs to them, to Harry Kim, and uh, he starts getting consumed by this virus that's that came from species 8472. So species 8472 is also known as the Endine, and uh, they're more or less uh, kind of like a bite. Um, they've got uh, four legs, they're quadrupeds, and uh, they're um, kind of warlike and everything. Well, at least they have a big, huge grudge against the uh, against uh, the Borg. Um, they haven't indicated a grudge against any other species, but uh, primarily the Borg. And in any case, the process, the virus, is actually, to some degree, transmogrifying, uh, transmorphing um, Harry Kim. So, the doctor, the EM, EMH, electro, or electronic medical, electromedical hologram, um, 
is trying to actually administer the Borg nanoprobes to Harry Kim in order to assimilate his cells back to human condition and everything. And uh, he's leveraging Borg technology to achieve this. So, it's interesting. You know, but, um, in any case. Me, back again. Movie, uh, Men in Black. Tommy Lee Jones is, uh, has a scene where um, Jay walks in. I can't remember their initials. So I think it's Jay is uh, the one played by Will Smith or the one who looks like Will Smith. He comes in and he sees Tommy Lee Jones and he's watching his, uh, his wife. And his wife is all but forgotten about him and everything, but his wife looks up at the sky at the same time that uh, Tommy Lee Jones looks down on her from a satellite and everything. And part of the sacrifice of working for the men in black means um leaving the family and friends behind and that kind of stuff and um that comes with it at a cost and it's just the you know the to some degree the disassociation one has to have from their emotions and separation out of themselves from their emotions to watch somebody continue living their life without them, without uh, you being a part of their influence and everything. Now, to some degree, um, I look back on that scene and everything, and I kind of do the same thing. I've got reference to everybody's Facebook page, and that's the only way I really have to look at my friends and their lives right now at this point. But I created a... Uh, a a presence out there, and uh, that presence I use to actually peruse my friends, um, my former friends' lives and everything. Now, they don't update it much at all, which is a little bit disappointing. Now, and um, one in particular, Rosalind, she's always feeling the need to um, mention something about, uh, you know, her problems with. Uh, with meat and with this whole concept of uh, organic and everything, and that's that's her fixation, that's her absolute obsession, and everything on Facebook. So she has absolutely nothing else to say, other than something like that on a periodic basis. It's almost like she's trying to program, you know, things through it, and it's really to the point of being irritating. Now, but everybody else, it's just like um, on occasion, Ken will say something or something like that. But I use it to, you know, just to try to. Not necessarily eavesdrop, but just to to see what my friends want to share. I still call them my friends, you know. It's just to some degree, my mind is still stuck in a, in two moments in time. You know, um, the moment that uh, Rachel walked in, you know, in the, in the room and everything, and just basically, you know, said, <laughs> "Do you mind if I take off my clothes?" and the the last time that uh, that Jackie and I were together sexually well no it's more more the time that she danced for me um, the other one lives in memory but between those two moments in time it's like those are anchor points those those are points in my life that I have to return to one of these days you know so when the technology becomes available you know, or the capabilities within my own mind to be able to achieve this, um, one or the other, at that point I'll, I'll know I can actually go back and experience these moments again. 
you know, and um, it's just, for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, this is something that will happen. I have no doubt about it, you know, so, but uh, until then, I realize that I've also created a situation and everything for this world, you know, that's trying to move forward and everything, trying to actually take me past those events and everything, and I'm just not wanting to. You know, so I had often looked back at um, at some of the people I knew in high school and everything, where they had their glory days, and, you know, I'd looked down on them to some degree, you know, and that they had their glory days of living, being a football star, or, you know, the jock, or, you know, the... Um, the prom queen or something like that, and I I used to have a small degree of pity for them, you know, it's just like, oh, they can't move ahead, and, you know, I used to look down on them for it, but I understand now, you know, completely understand, you know, it's just a moment in time that you wouldn't mind relishing in, that you wouldn't mind staying in, you know, and it it doesn't make you any less for wanting to experience these events more, you know, a couple times more if you want to. You know, we're just going through it again for, you know, for a solitary time. Not imagined, I'm talking about real. You know, so that's the whole thing. It's just like I suddenly now completely understand, you know, why somebody would want to actually go through these events again. And it's my belief that we're all entitled to this. You know, absolutely fucking entitled to it. No matter what, you know, the world might try to tell you otherwise. You know, but it's absolutely my belief that I am entitled to relive these events, as are these other people and everything. If if you were a prom queen and you want to be that prom queen again, you know, or if you're a, um, you know, a, a football star or something like that, you know, to be able to relive it again. And I'm not talking about Fantasy Island type shit. You know, I'm talking where ultimately you're taught a lesson. You know, fuck that teaching you a lesson shit. You know, the way I look at it is you're entitled, absolutely entitled, as am I, you know, to experience life in these events that you want to. So I'm sorry, you know, for ever pitying you, you know, for wanting to relive those events and everything. For that, I apologize. And, um, and no matter what they are, too. You know, so it's my belief there's a way you know, through a multiverse, you know, for me to have my way, for you to have your way, for everybody to do as they as they see fit and everything. So, and, and the way I look at it is, if Jackie doesn't want to relive this, that's okay, because a version of Jackie that I'm experiencing is nothing more than a simulation. The same thing holds true for, for Rachel, too. You know, if she doesn't want to experience, that's fine as well. Create a fucking simulation, you know. If it's, a, if it's an imaginary creation of my mind or it's a technological creation of a simulation that I can actually go and visit this stuff in. So looking back at um, the whole Tommy Lee Jones stuff, you know, I look back on people's lives and everything, and I, I to some degree, understand you know, that my insistence that um, that I experience these things to some degree is like a holy war. You know, it really is. You know, it, it's, it's a religious understanding, a religious belief that I have. And this world isn't respecting my religious belief, plain and simple. It's my religious belief that it's my entitlement 
to go through this. I live in a country that claims to respect religion, but it's my it's not happening. You know, plain and simple. It is my religious belief that this is not only possible, but I'm entitled to it. You know, not in some dreamland, but I'm talking about for real. So when I look back at my friends and everything, to some degree I see that they're operating in a very mechanical fashion. You know, they're doing the same shit that they normally do and everything on a daily basis, and it's just like, I'm not judging them for it. You know, I'm just observing, and I'm saying, eh, I, I respect the world and the life that they have, but that's not the world and life that I want right now. Eventually, I may want to return to it, maybe. You know, but I may not. You know, depending on how my journey goes and everything, and what I find and what I discover, I may actually come down to the conclusion that, hey, this time period in, in space and time and everything, um, I need to move past it and everything, and I need to find a way to, you know, to create a new world and everything, you know, based on things that have, have happened, but uh, honor the progression of time that's happened but being okay with, with having a separate timeline, a, a separate, you know, separate events happening and everything for me from my perspective. So when I look back on my friends and everything and I see the occasional updates on, on, uh, on Facebook, you know, and I get a general um, lack of responses and everything, you know, and I have over the last couple of years, so I quit trying, you know, I've, I've realized that it, it's not them, it's me. I'm the one that has created a situation with my desire that I'm seeing pushback in some very weird ways and everything. I'm seeing collective systems and everything and how they react to something that actually threatens the existence of the collective sense, in this case a collective sense of time. If they've got one timeline and everything and that timeline um, is managed for the collective and everything, the expectation is I adhere to it, right? But if I don't, what happens? What if I refuse, absolutely refuse, and dig in my heels and say, see these two moments in time? Those are two primary moments I want to experience again. Not, they're not the last moments. There's certainly some other moments I can think of, and not everything's sexual. Some of it's just basically going back and watching, you know, literally, and, and maybe sometimes participating, you know, laughing at some of the things. You know, if you had the capability to be able to watch your own life through a TV screen or a movie or something like that, would you? Well, what about a, in a three-dimensional simulation, where you could just basically be a ghost, if you will, watching key moments in your own life? And what if on occasion you can actually slip into, you know, the body, you know, of, of your former self and everything? and relive an experience or something like that, and maybe even potentially deviate it. So, in any case, I look back and I feel like Tommy Lee Jones. You know, that whole idea of remorse and... Uh, not necessarily regret, but this whole... Hmm, I don't want things to work out differently, but I wish they had. And it's a little bit of conflict with the situation and everything. I don't like not having having my friends around to be able to talk to, be able to shoot the shit with and everything. You know, um, I don't like the disassociation that's gone on with them. But I also see them living their life exactly 
as when I left it. Nothing's changed. I mean, they've gone from job to job and they're still doing the same damn thing and everything. It's just like, I know it's not my place to question them and that. But maybe to some degree it's my responsibility, not just to myself, but to them, to provide opportunities and to reshape the world to actually create new opportunities. And maybe the only way to achieve that is through digging in my heels and saying this level of technology and this level of society and everything absolutely needs to change. I wish they would update more. I mean, Rosalind is just so focused on, I mean, I'm going through and looking at her thing right now, healthy eating, dangers of paleo and keto, um, it, it's just, it's always something about a plant-based diet, you know, it's just, she's so hyper-focused on the animal products and that kind of stuff, you know, it's almost like her mind has been tainted as a result of it, something's going on with the girl and everything, but, um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just like, it's, you know, all the other friends and everything, they hardly ever post. It'd be cool to see them post. You know, it'd be cool to see the updates. But, and also, it'd be cool to see them want to get back in touch with me. See, that's the weird thing. I, myself, I feel like I'm the only one that actually managed to gel, you know, create the relationships and everything and sustain them. And it's almost like they never try. Not one. You know, it's, it's, and I had noticed that before, too. It had always been me. I'd been the, the glue that held the relationships together and everything. Created them and everything. I'd been the one initiating contact when I didn't hear from somebody in a while or something like that. It's just like... Why? Why does it always have to be me? Doesn't make sense, if you ask me. But in any case, it is what it is, right? So, anyways, long story short, Tommy Lee Jones, I suddenly understand, and the guys that I knew in high school and everything, you know what? Why shouldn't you have the opportunity to live those glory days? Anyways, gonna go see Shazam tonight, I'm excited about that. Here we go, driving again. I wish I would have, uh, nah, I don't wish, had a recording, and uh, that way some of the uh, spare time and everything I had while I was driving across the country, I could have talked into uh, something like this, but then again, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed the scenery as much as I did, but eh, it's all good. So, anyways, I uh, ended up going to see Shazam this evening with uh, my mom and uh, the roommate, Michelle, and... It was decent. I mean, I'm not going to rave about it and say it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's, you know, pretty good. So I definitely enjoyed it. And I was just uh, 
something different. And I, I like, you know what I like about it is the uh, childlike nature. You know, the goofy nature. And I'm sitting there thinking as the movie is going on, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, this is utterly predictable. I wish this thing would, you know, uh, just do something, you know, take me on a different path and everything other than what I'm predicting. Well, sure enough, boom. You know, at the end, all of a sudden now, they've got, uh, I mean, I'm not going to give it away. I don't want to don't want to blow and spoil the movie for you. But I was pleasantly surprised with the way, the little twist at the, at the end. At the, and, uh, and you'll know which one I'm talking about when you see it and everything. So, with that said, it's just um, you know, it was, it was good entertainment. Um, you know, and the way I look at it is, I had previously read Shazam before, and I loved when I was a kid the whimsical nature of Shazam, but it did feel like it was definitely a ripoff of of Superman. And now that I've seen it like this and everything, and putting it in perspective with the past part of my life and everything behind me, I realize that to some degree, you know, it's kind of like a tale of possibilities and tale of belief and everything. And, um, yeah, of course you're going to have superheroes are going to inspire the minds of other people to become superheroes themselves. You know, and um, that's just, that's not fiction, that's just reality. You know, so it, for the most part, I feel like, you know, to some degree, some people acquire capabilities and powers that are beyond anything the mere mortal can actually can actually understand. You know, and, and typically those powers are, you know, around the mind, you know, the capabilities. You know, how is it somebody like Bill Gates can be so fucking rich and everything, and Warren Buffett could be so fucking rich? And and you like to think, you know, at least I did. Um, I like to believe that uh, that that man wasn't any more special than me. You know, um, he had no more capabilities than I did. And everything that he can do, I can do. Myself as well. You know, it's just a matter of situation, right? I had always assumed that it was external circumstances that placed me in the wrong time and the wrong place and everything and made it so where my life ended up where it is. And uh, his life ended up where it was, you know. And I, for the most part, I had believed that until all of a sudden I started understanding the power of choice. And um, that choice itself and the belief of that choice and everything is what, what, was, what is ultimately um, responsible for creating the world around you. Now, if you believe that you're a victim of society and everything, that's exactly what you're going to see. You know, and um, the things that you do and everything are are going to completely fall in line with everything that you believe in everything. You know, and it's 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 amazing how how far you know if you want to analogize this to the Matrix and everything, how far that rabbit hole goes, and um, it's it's mind-boggling to be honest. You know, but now that I'm actually in the middle of it, it's just a, it's a little bit more like wow, this is it. It feels like it's um. It's an old, it's an old blanket, you know, one of those blankets that mom may have made, um, you know, that just feels comfortable. There's something about it. You can't put a finger on it, but it's just, you know, there's something about that. You know, I don't know if you have something like that, you know, whether or not it's a blanket or it's a figurine um, or you know, something that that takes you to a certain moment and just basically gives you the feeling of calm and that kind of stuff, or this certain kind of, of zen and everything. Um, 
that's that's actually what what this is to me right now is I feel like I had been stressed out for so much of my life and everything and I got to the point you know where I was I knew I can kill for the first time no I I had absolutely no doubt that if somebody was going to approach me and do the thing do something else outside of my tent and everything that I had, you know, the not only the the capability to be able to take their life, you know, should my life even barely be threatened. I was more interested in making an example of somebody than I was um, actually giving a shit about them, you know, is what it comes down to. And um, in the end, it's the first time that I'd ever been brought to that point in my life. And, you know, I, it's, I, I got past the point of not liking that person that I become and had realized that circumstance had put me in this position. And it was now time to change that circumstance and everything and start giving to myself. You know, and uh, it's just like this little switch flipped, you know, at the same time, my mom and dad are having problems and everything, and my dad's having issues and everything. There is no coincidence between the circumstances. None whatsoever. What happened on the outside with my mom and dad happened for a reason, and, and that reason is because my mind, in an interconnected way, caused these events to happen. Now, you can certainly think, oh shit, you know, that uh, you are ultimately responsible for the pain that people go through. Um, you're, you're responsible for fucking everything. You know, and, and, and that in itself sounds like a huge burden, but it really isn't. You know, it's just basically, it's just like, you know, why is it, you know, um, there's a question that I'd heard asked numerous times and everything as if I was supposed to present an answer. Why is it people um, die in floods and all this other shit around the world and everything? Well, people have a tendency, and I know this and I speak from experience and everything, to believe in the idea and concept of being a victim. That's a process of disassociation and everything. And um, until that you get over, you know, that uh, that whole victim mentality, which m some people I don't think ever do, um, it, until you learn to get over it and everything, you don't have, um, you're not living a, a truly, what I consider truly capable life and everything. You know, and uh, as, as long as you're busy pointing the fingers at somebody else for what you're not, you know, for what you what you've to be, what you're to become, and everything. The way I, I look at things now is just basically, um, I get a kick out of this guy in front of me. He's got freedom is not free. Retired U.S. Navy, support our armed forces and veterans. Having been through what I've gone through, I realize that when I signed up with the uh, the army, um, that was an exercise for my mind in letting go of control, of physical control of my body. I no longer was responsible for what I did, and uh, with what happened and everything, um, not just physically, but also mentally and everything, was was a, a big, huge, and this is how I had to interpret things, a big, huge lesson in reality, you know, and um, basically when I'm peering across the wire and, and looking at these lives that I'd previously considered fiction and everything, um, what I was doing was I was seeing reality as it really is in, in kind of a pure form. You know, it's just like, this is what's going on out there. Plain and simple. Now, I classify it as fiction because I like, it, I like not being alone. You know, if you want to join me in my universe and everything and play a part in it for whatever reason, the door's open. You know, but ultimately, I'm going to make you aware it's my universe. 
You know, um, it's, it might take me some time to realize that it is. You know, and, and this isn't my first rodeo. This is one thing that's like I was making a comment about, you know, the blanket thing, the security blanket. Being Q, to me, is old hat. This is something, a, a frame of mind and a mindset that I haven't, this isn't the first time I've experienced this. You know, um... I can point the finger to the previous version of Star Trek and and uh, all that stuff and everything is basically saying that was probably the last time, but I don't know for sure. You know, and a part of the process and a part of the reason for doing that is I'm not interested in knowing everything. I like there to be some surprises. You know, and uh, to some degree, yes, my mind did create everything, you know, but that doesn't mean I choose to know everything. You know, being a god is a choice, and so is, you know, the creation, the extent of the creation that you know. You know, to me, it's just like, you know, um, my mom ended up making a comment. I'm asking her, does, does God get bored? And I'm thinking about her perspective of God and everything, because I realize to some degree she's referring to her own mind when she's talking about God. And God in, in, in herself, um, in that case right there, is, is and chooses to be disassociated for some, some reason and everything. Well, I mean, for me, I'm just... I'm just listening, and I'm listening to different perspectives for ideas and everything. You know, what, what's different ways to think about, about reality? And that's part of the reason I enjoy playing video games, and part of the reason I enjoy watching movies and everything is it provides new ideas and new information, new possibilities for the expansion and continuation of my universe. And, and additionally, you know, once I acquire some capabilities that I can actually travel in ways that I want to and everything... The, the eventual ability to be able to go go to these places. You know, not just to see them on a screen, but in a literal sense, go touch them, go feel them, go play in them. So, in any case, Q is being like being a you know, security blanket. It's, it's kind of like um, the whole Matrix concept where the Oracle looks at Dio and says, being the one is just something you know, through and through. It's through your bones and everything. And I'll be honest with you, I do believe that what I was seeing when I saw the Oracle tell Neo that he was not the one, that she was being flat out honest, and that was his truth. Now, it may appear like Neo has some incredible powers and everything, but Neo is not... Um, it is confined to two separate realities in, that, uh, in those series of movies and everything. That, that, to me, is not the one, you know, and I think the Oracle was spot on when she ended up making that com comment. So, I, I think that's the thing, is being the one isn't something you, you're, you're looking to somebody else to be told. It's something you know, you know, and it's not limited to just me. That's something I know, too. Anybody has a capability of being the one, but as I talk about it, you know, you're going to be sitting there thinking it's contradictive, you know, that uh, if I say I can be the one and you can as well, well, that's contradictive. No, it's not. It, it's, it's one of those things that uh, it, when it comes down to it, there isn't a first in, first out when it comes down to reality. So, anyways, I'll be back. Cute girl next to me. So, anyways, I'm back. I'm making a chocolate tapioca pudding tomorrow, so I just had dinner and came down here to get the big thing o' milk and some tapioca beads to uh, to make it. <sighs> Best pudding I've had so far, and I'm just looking forward to it. I might even start it tonight. But in any case, um, 
Shazam was cool. And uh, here's the thing. Years ago, I was investigating what you can refer to as the paranormal, the superstitious type stuff and everything. Sorry, I'm breathing hard. Full, and I just carried a couple uh, gallons of milk, so... And I could use a use to lose a or I shouldn't I can use to actually have my density increased. I don't need to lose weight. I need to somehow tell my body to increase the density of my mass. So that way it physically looks like I've lost weight. So putting that out there. Now one of the things that uh, I've been, uh, you know, trying to, I've been investigating for years has been this concept of supernatural, paranormal, and also this thing called magic. Now, for for years, I've been trying to understand, you know, what um, is, is there any validity to the concept of magic? You know, that magic exists. Is there any validity to this concept of ghosts? And as I've come to realize on the last couple of years, not only is there validity, you know, but my own mind has actively been censoring, um, censoring things from me consciously. And let's say I go off on a conscious experience that I don't enjoy and everything, and um, at that point my mind will, in a literal sense, erase that experience and create a new thread, and in many cases, revert back to time. So let's say I go down one thread of existence and everything, and um, I mean, let's say I get down to the year 2025, 2030 or something like that, and uh, I realize I am single-handedly responsible for creating a nuclear apocalypse, and um, I'm being foolish about all this stuff and everything. Well, you know, my mind itself, um, you know, that's actually a big part of my belief of what happened out there in the desert when um, others believed that I was hallucinating. And it's just like they needed to understand that, it, that it, to them it wasn't real. You know, that process of disassociation made it so where, yes, it was real to me, but my mind um, more or less let, the, let me see the event from a personal perspective until I can actually come to analyze it with a rational mind to understand what exactly happened, and also, more importantly, tell the story. And, uh, and that story itself is actually what, in effect, creates reality. So, um, with all that said and everything, uh, that's the concept of what, what I've learned is what magic is. And that's actually part of the reason Hitler started pursuing occult-type items um, during the 1940s at the, uh, the end of World War II. He, he saw, he quickly found out, that, uh, that the power of imagination in literally created reality, and that those things that are actually occult in nature aren't just manifestations of that reality, but they are actually, um, or aren't just fic stories told about reality, but they are literal manifestations of, of imagination in reality. So, at the end, when, after he had gone through and started this war, he realized that he, you know, he had actually screwed up and uh, in the process of eliminating a lot of the things that uh, could have helped him, he ended up eliminating them, and, and as a result, he also eliminated pro uh, things from his imagination, which can more or less help him, if he wanted to, have won the war. Fortunately for us, he didn't. You know, and uh, fortunately, the story that I get to learn about is, you know, the power of imagination and um, and what why Hitler was pursuing the occult type items and everything. Well. These items depict 
um, imagination. And it's not a material form. I mean, not a material thing. It's just imagination. It's, it's ideas, it's concepts that have actually been put into reality. Now, here's the thing. If you actually tried to study uh, things that are actually created by imagination and everything, you know, to some degree that, that actually creates this loop. And that's actually what, what's responsible for the creation and, and magnification of, of reality, of the, the overall for the overall expansion of reality can directly be attributed to you know to the investigation of things that don't have answers that sa- that satisfy the rational mind and everything well that's like an um you know a mouse uh, gerbil on a on a wheel chasing a carrot you know um e- eventually it'll start realizing that all it has to do is step off that wheel walk around and it can get that carrot itself. It's that easy, you know. And that's and that's actually what's going on. Is the more and more that you go through the process of trying to actually analyze, you know, reality from a binary perspective, trying to understand what it's doing and and how, you know, logically it works and everything. The more that you're going to find yourself, you know, unable to answer some questions and everything. And that's actually why a lot of older people have a tendency to believe in the concept of God and everything and, and of religion. They realize that, wait a second, you know, you get to a point in your life where you realize fucking everything is true. Not just everything, but fucking everything. So my worst nightmares, you know, can come true. And my biggest dreams, well, I I think the overall tendency for a lot of people, and this is a tendency I'm I'm in the process of, of getting away from and focusing more on what I want rather than what I don't want, but the tendency tends to be you know, to focus on the things that you don't want. Now, I had noticed this with my ex-wife. I had noticed this with uh, quite a few people and everything. And, you know, for me, the, the I, I have a sense, a feeling, that a lot of people intentionally choose, you know, those things that, uh, that they don't want. And they do that simply to expand the possibilities in their life by making cho- choices contrary to what their instincts tell them. You know, so, and that's actually not, not that unusual. Doing something that's contrary to um, what the numbers say. Doing something that's contrary to what statistical evidence might provide and everything. Well, this is actually the bridge and actually what is what directly responsible for creating what I consider to be real magic. And what real magic is, is the manifestation, the understanding and of, of the mind's link to reality itself. And how the material world is basically a um, rationalization of the experiences that you have, in particular, um, across multiple timelines, all converged into one single timeline, and that this is the best that your mind can make sense of it in a general case. And for the most part, I do believe that uh, Doctor Who actually had a point when he ended up saying, don't look at infinity, it'll drive you insane. Well, to some degree, that's, you know, a rational mind trying to understand and cope and manage infinity is, is kind of nutso. You know, but um, here's actually what I realized. In the end, um, the big thing that I, I've come to understand, you know, has been more or less that uh, I had for a long period of time and everything dismissed the idea and notion of God. You know, dismissed the idea that anything could be all-knowing, could be all-seeing, could have all, you know, all awareness of reality and everything until I got to the point that I realized that I created this reality. 
and that there's a method to the madness. There's a reason for everything that, that happens in this world and everything. You know, particularly when I take into consideration temporal constraints, nonlinear methods of time and everything, alternate timelines and alternate chronologies, for instance, the Caesar calendar, the Mayan calendar, um, alternate versions of verse calendar, the star date, um, each one of these depicts time from a different perspective and everything. And if you take into consideration that each and every single one of these actually get eventually converged into one reality, but not one dominates the other. They simply contribute. You know, at the end of the day, you start realizing that, wait a second, what converges them? What causes that convergence? You know, what makes it so we're my timeline? You know, um, and the one I'm seeing in everything is, you know, is the dominant one. Well, that's that's where the beauty of perspective and individuality comes in. You fucking choose, nincompoop. You know, and it took me a long time to understand that. And it wasn't even a question I was act actively asking either. I, I just got to the point of, of basically believing the stories about time and uh, about how, you know, the Mayan calendar was far less accurate in depicting reality than the Caesar calendar. I believe the whole scientific explanation of everything about how all this shit came into existence and everything. Believing in a linear chronology and uh, that uh, the methods of science itself were responsible for creating more accuracy in the depiction of reality and everything. And scientific investigation is actually what made for a more rational existence and everything. Um, that's not that far from the truth, but it's not 100% the truth. It's almost like saying that all movies are made in Hollywood. That's bullshit. I mean, anybody that's actually, you know, aware of foreign productions and everything, particularly Bollywood or something like that, they understand perfectly well that not all movies are created that way. And in fact, some people are, a lot of people are doing it with cameras and everything at home and not only that, but a lot of people are doing it specifically on computer systems with absolutely no filming whatsoever and everything. So there's a lot of different movie methods movies can come into existence, just like there's a lot of different ways realities can come into existence in universes and timelines and chronologies and that kind of shit. So, anyways, magic is nothing more than something um, that science, for, from somebody else's perspective, doesn't understand. It really is that simple. Cannot rationalize through their own scientific values and their scientific belief systems. And anything that invalidates them tends to get classified and, to some degree, in a lot of cases, demonized. So, I mean, if you look at the Salem witch trials, yes, there were, were real witches. You know, did they disappear? No, fuck no. So, what's the question? I mean, you know, the, you got to start asking questions like, why would a witch float? Don't dismiss everybody. You know, that's one of the keys I've learned. Don't dismiss any behavior as irrational. Always, always consider its rational, rationally grounded basis and everything. Don't just call it naive. Just call it a perspective. Life becomes very different once you start validating everybody else's beliefs. So I'm uh, playing Star Trek Online, and I noticed something odd again. Um, this is. I've looked for a couple days, and I think I've mentioned it before, but I've still been looking every day for a Vulcan entertainer. Now, I'm wondering if Vulcans even understand what entertainment is and what the purpose for it would be to be actually in entertainment. It's kind of interesting, you know? 
There's Vulcan advisors, there's Vulcan bartenders, there's Vulcan chefs. But there's no entertainers. It's weird. And this has been, what, five days I've been looking now. Anyways. Back in uh, 2012, 2013, I was here at my parents' house. And uh, I was still trying to get off of uh, bath salts. And um, they were... You know, I mean, it was the type of thing that, um, if you've never been on addicted to a drug or anything like that, it's, it's, it can be difficult at times. And, you know, fortunately my parents were there to support me, um, chastise me and everything. You know, um, it was one of those things that it's just, you know, here's the, the issue with, with a drug. You are in a fight with your own mind this desire you know combined with this you know lack of desire to lose control of your own body and your own you know your own impulses and everything it's just this combative type situation and everything that i just you know it's it's hard describing it to anybody so in any case um i'm noticing some things particularly on the internet and everything that uh was really kind of bizarre now Here's the thing, hallucination in itself, you know, confined to reality, you know, is one thing, but when you're actually seeing um, some weird things happen across digital channels and everything, it's just like, okay, you know, now the the mind is capable of some, you know, fairly unstructured things and everything in reality, which can explain that, but in a highly structured way, the mind is also capable of, of creating and altering content on the internet. That didn't make any sense to me. And not only that, but I'm hallucinating highly structured content? I mean, I'm seeing the proliferation of weird porn and everything out there. You know, and it's it's increasing every time I take the substance and everything. Now, what the fuck is going on? You know, I was just realizing that. Wait a second. There's this whole mind-computer link and everything that I have, and something weird is going on. Now, it gets to a point where you, you quit calling, you know, you quit referring to things as the label, and you start looking past the label, and you start realizing that that's just a roadblock. You know, um... It doesn't mean that that uh, that you can't go past that roadblock to see what's there. And in some cases, if you're a worker, you can, in a literal sense, work on what's going on behind that roadblock and everything. You know, but that roadblock is there for a very valid reason, is what I had learned. You know, and uh, it, it comes down to just simply understanding. You know that. Um, it's there's something beyond most people's comprehension and it it's it's to the point that it can actually drive you fucking insane trying to understand it so that roadblock is there for very valid reason you know it's like this too let's say you're a child and everything and you know you're you're led to believe that uh, you know that santa is real and you know all this stuff then all of a sudden you you think you're brilliant and that you figured it all out and everything, and Santa's not real. But what, let's say you never get past that. Now, that's that's kind of a trip, you know, when you think about it. It's just like, is it possible, you know, that, uh, or let's say later, you discover that, wait a second, Santa is real. You know, not only that, but fucking everything's real. You know, so what I was seeing on the internet and everything was really 
you know, kind of in a structured, very highly structured way. You know, just the the way that uh, my mind works, um, the push and pull tug that goes on uh, with with reality. And uh, not only that, but one of the more interesting things that I saw was uh, when I was actually going through and um, just playing around with Star Trek Online, all of a sudden I saw my ship had all this weird shit on it. Um, and it just, I saw an episode today of uh, Star Trek. It's, um, I can't remember what episode it was and everything, but it's shortly after, uh, it's literally one episode after Scorpion 1 and 2. <laughs> where they ended up going through Borg space, and uh, once they ended up getting out of Borg space, they had all these Borg attachments and that kind of stuff to it. And uh, in a literal sense, it just, you know, they had to dismantle all the stuff and everything. Well, the weird thing is, I saw inside the Star Trek Online, I saw my ship, and my ship had, in a literal sense, it had like looked like it had Borg attachments attached to it. And I was just like, okay, this is really, really kind of funky. It's not part of the storyline. You know, it's not part of any missions or anything like that. And it's, you know, I ended up going to a Delta space inside the, uh, the ship and everything. And then all of a sudden I started realizing, wait a second, there's a, a play going on between my mind and reality. And it, in a literal sense, could be responsible for attaching those things. You know, because of the visit to Borg space and everything. But wait a second, if my mind's actually creating that, is it possible it's creating everything? And that became obvious, you know, at, at a later time and everything. You know, it's kind of trippy. It's just like I'm looking at the... I mean, I remember inspecting the uh, my ship and everything, looking at it from every angle, and I'm all going... This is just bizarre. I mean, it's, you know, highly, you know, high resolution. It's, you know, um, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not high at the time. You know, I'm just taking a look at it and I'm all going, I mean, it is a time that I'm fighting with the drug addiction and everything, you know, but, you know, to some degree, you know, the, the Borg, um, in a sense, are, and I fixate on them because everything's kind of like a way to disassociate yourself from what's going on with your own mind and to look at it from an external perspective and everything. You know, and I, and I do get a sense that a lot of things that are around me um, are that. You know, that way they're, they're a, a lesson to me to understand what's going on. Well, you know, I mean, with my own mind, too. You know, so in a sense, the, the drugs that I was taking and everything, they were consuming my mind. And not only that, um, they, they were making it so where I didn't have a whole lot of capability to be able to make choices without including the dependency on those drugs as a choice and everything. Now, I didn't think this was a bad thing for a long time because I really did kind of enjoy the, the journey and everything. And uh, until it got to the point of being personally destructive with um, some of my, you know, friendships and my relationships, and in particular the uh, the world that I knew and everything, and and at that point I started realizing this just isn't working for me, you know. And then that's when the fight began. You know, I was just like, okay, I've got this dependence on a substance and everything that I'm I'm no longer enjoying, you know, but. I'm finding out real difficult, real hard, you know, what what this addiction 
um, moniker means. And it just basically means you don't have the capability to be able to turn it off like a light switch. It's, it's not the capability to be able to dismantle this, this diction to basically say, I'm no longer interested in doing it and flipping it off just like that. It doesn't work that simple. Well, and the same thing holds true for, you know, if you're looking at the Borg from an external perspective and everything. So what I found um, found was interesting with this episode today was um, that uh, when it came down to it, there's a um, uh, Seven of Nine is the first time she's actually introduced and everything. Now, I'm paying attention to the entire story from an alternative perspective now. And that, that story is one in which I myself have adopted the moniker called Q. Now... With that adoption, you know, of that moniker, um, that name, that is me. You know, it's not not just an adoption; it's just an assertion of who I am, and who I've always been, and everything. Now, Janeway, Captain Janeway, is adamant. You know that uh, when she looks at um, Seven of Nine and everything you know, as a Borg and everything, you know, she's appalled by the Borg. She's appalled by the whole concept that anything or anyone would ever want to be a Borg. And um, a as a result, she ends up going through this uh, this process of basically looking up um, quote-unquote records within Federation database and everything and showing, you know, Seven of Nine that this is who you are. She's adamant about it. Well, Captain Janeway doesn't understand the whole mind-computer um, mind link and doesn't understand that her reality, you know, is basically one in which that um, she herself could have been responsible for creating those records, you know, inside the uh, this database and everything. With her mind's capability and her strict defiance and belief that nobody would ever want to willingly become a Borg, that just defies all logic and everything, she will find proof and evidence of it. And she finds evidence in, com in computer records. Well, try as a 7 of 9 can, um, she ends up saying that, uh, you know, she demands to actually be, you know, taken back to the collective and everything, that she, this is, uh, this is her home and everything, and Janeway severs the link and absolutely refuses, you know, and just basically says, until, you know, your, you know, your individualism has been asserted and everything, you know, and, and here's the funny thing. She doesn't understand, you know, Janeway doesn't understand how um, she's trying to assert her individualism and her individual choice is to be a part of that, you know, and uh, and she actually, you know, the funny thing is Seven of Nine, you know, uh, proclaims, you know, I demand to be a part of, to be released back to the collective. Just let me go, you know, um, or let us go, you know, and uh, let... Uh, and let us become, you know, uh, let us, uh, just give us a, a shuttle and let us go back and you don't even have to go, you know, and uh, the funny thing is, Janeway is just like, you know, she's absolutely adamant, you know, until I can be sure, you know, that, uh, and, and the funny thing is, uh, the Seven of Nine responds with, I don't want to be like you. <laughs> I mean, how much more plain can you get? Now, the first time I saw this, I I understood Janeway's perspective. And I thought, you know, boy, why would anybody ever want to look like a Seven of Nine and everything? You know, but then Seven of Nine gets hot looking, and at that point, I start realizing, wait a second. 
there is an alternative perspective. And the alternative perspective is it's almost like taking somebody out of the United States, you know, and, um, you know, that doesn't want to go to another country and everything. You know, it's almost like uh, me going to China, for instance, and China trying to assert that uh, I am part of a collective called the United States, and why the hell would you ever want to be a part of that collective? You should be more like us and everything. And until we can we can be sure that uh, that you are like us and everything, we're not going to let you back. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of like being a prisoner of war, right? You know, it's just you know the funny thing is it's the converse side of this coin, you know that um, that that the whole time seven of nine is asserting her independence she belongs to something and she's quite content with belonging to that thing but Janeway and her crew they believe because they read things inside of computer system and everything not understanding the mind computer link and everything they believe that their computer system is actually demonstrating you know their belief and that their belief is absolute you know um, that they are a hundred percent right with that just because they have a record with it well I saw direct evidence that my mind was literally altering content on the internet direct evidence you know it was altering content on start on the um, on the uh, the game, it was altering content on websites. Now, there's a point of of basically saying, you know, it's it's a hallucination, just dismiss it and everything. But there's a point that one has to scientifically analyze this um, and understand that how 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 the mind works, how a computer works, and if my mind has the capability to be able to in a literal sense alter the physical content you know with or without drugs the physical content that's actually on the internet not only that but in reality um, with the in introduction of um, hallucinogenics and everything then that means my mind innately has this capability with or without the drugs. So, here's the next question. How do I, do I, how do I leverage this? Plain and simple. How do I actually take advantage of this mind-body connection and everything and mind-computer connection and make it work for me? How do I besides and, and I started this process a long time ago where I started actually leveraging it for education you know I ended up taking some classes with um, University of Phoenix and I ended up using it a lot with uh, pursuing my MBA program half half the course was online and half the course was offline um, so I learned very quickly that one way to take advantage of it is definitely through education um, I've taken education to the next level and everything since then and I've, I've pursued you know um, how many different courses I've actually completed probably about uh, 30 altogether um, six or seven of them in law um, other various courses and everything and other subjects you know so from an indoctrination perspective and everything I've certainly got certainly gotten a, a better idea of how the world functions and everything at least from um, 
a holographic perspective and everything, you know, but what, uh, and I, I say holographic referring to the internet and it's a holographic type universe and everything, um, but when it comes down to it, the there's also, you know, so let's say I've, I've created, established this connection that I'm actually starting to go through and reprogramming my own mind by basically selectively choosing things to actually um, indulge in, you know, from an educational perspective and everything. But now I'm reaching a different phase and everything. How is it I can actually take it to the next level? You know, that whole when my mind was connected to the internet and I'm, you know, one thing I, I got to say was, you know, cocaine and bath salts make you horny as fuck. And the funny thing is I saw um, some really weird shit happening with the creation of um, pornography and everything. And it's just like, wow, my mind's actually... I didn't realize that that was actually projecting out into this, whatever you want to refer to it as, quantum realm, and it was actually creating this content and everything um, in direct response to my own emotions, you know, to my own desire. It was actually proliferating and creating more and more of the content, and it was accelerating, too. You know, that was a trippy thing. I mean, so I would take the drug, and I would notice that it would be relatively calm, but I, or I, before it was, and all of a sudden I would take it, and boom, all of a sudden I see it starting to increase as I'm paying more attention to it. It's just like, wow, this is trippy. You know, this is trippy cool, you know, but uh, I, you know, that's actually part of the, uh, of getting off of it, too, is just basically saying, okay, you know, it in itself is causing a direct influence on the, on the outside world around there. Um, it's also creating um, an, an indirect influence through the computer systems and everything. Um, could be potentially direct, but I'm not 100% sure in everything at this point. Now I'm 100% sure. So let's say, you know, it's going through and this connection is and has been there the entire time and everything. I can look at the uh, the Borg as as the example and everything, you know, and that's actually why I'm watching some of these shows again, you know, is I, I feel like I missed something the first time, and really it came down to an, a disassociated perspective, an external perspective of how my mind functions, so I can actually take that and understand it, you know, from an experiential perspective by observation of others, of, of the way that it can be depicted from the outside. Now, I had already done that with uh, Q, you know, but I hadn't done that with each and every person, you know, that uh, that was living within this Voyager world, and now also within Sabrina's world as well. You know, um, let's say your mind is, is subject to creating reality and everything. What rules can you create? Um, what, um, what what thinking processes, you know, this is actually what I'm doing right now, what thinking processes can I instill, you know, that enable me, you know, um, but at the same time, um, keep me safe, you know, so I know that my safety is my responsibility and everything, you know, and I've seen the results of, of um, rampant uh, letting go, you know, to some degree, you know, by seeing the uh, the Terminator world and everything, you know, um, that just proves to me that I need to be careful, you know, with my own mind and everything, to be prudent is a better word for it, and uh, to just basically take into consideration, you know, that everything is possible now, what what rules and what thinking processes can, can I go through, and not only that, but how is it I can also respect those beings and their thinking processes around me, you know, and... Um, 
one of the rules I've actually created, you know, is based on an interaction that ended up happening with uh, with Q and data. Now, Q and data, um, data ends up. Uh, Q ends up installing a program one day that uh, he ends up leaving and and makes uh, data laugh maniacally and everything. It's not torturous. It's just to the point of it lasts for about 30 seconds and everything. And it's just something that's just basically there, you know, because A, data's receptive to being programmed anyways, and B, he's been seeking out humanity um, and understanding, trying to understand humanity, especially emotions and everything. So Q installs a quick little program via his mind you know, to Data, and Data at this point ends up um, laughing, you know, joyfully for 30 seconds and everything. And uh, after it gets done, he, he ex explains that he just had a joyful, um, wondrous experience, quote-unquote wondrous experience. Well, that's actually one personal role that I like the idea of doing. Um, a, not programming people directly, you know, particularly when they're in my presence and everything. You know, if it's a person or an individual and everything um, that I know, um, and I know or I believe that they are a human, um, they've exhibited no properties, no aesthetical, you know, possibilities and everything that uh, demonstrates that they are anything less than what I believe to be human and everything. Well, for me, that's off limits to when it comes down to programming. I will not, you know, it's a personal rule, I will not um, manipulate their mind directly, even though I'm capable of doing it, you know. The fact of the matter is I do not want to violate somebody's capability to be able to have free will. So with, with this, there's a caveat. Um, if there's an android, a cyborg, or something in any other way um, that is capable of being reprogrammed, um, I will. You know, and this is in much the same way that Q ends up doing this with data and everything. I will allow myself the capability to be able to program them, um, and and do it via my mind, mind to the, my mind to their mind communication everything. A form of telepathy, if you want to think about it like that. But it's a uh, it's only me between between me and machines. Now I'm already doing it a little bit with computer systems and everything. That actually was proven to me through the drug experience and everything. Um, and I also see it on a regular basis with Star Trek, and I'm also starting to see it with um, with uh, videos, uh, TV shows, uh, movies, um, anything that's digitally based and everything. You know, and, and here's a for instance. Yesterday I'm watching Shazam, Shazam, and I'm literally thinking, you know, about probably about 40 minutes into or about maybe almost an hour into it. I'm just thinking, man, this is highly predictable. It's really boring. It would be really cool you know, if this actually did something unpredictable and fun. That's literally the thinking process that I'm, that I'm thinking at that point. And as F on Q, within about 15 minutes, boom, it ends up having a complete change. And at this point, um, the movie ends up, uh, you know, demonstrating the inclusion of these people um, uh, of... I mean, again, it had a, a key sequence and everything that was exactly what I'm talking about and everything. It was unexpected, it was pleasant, and actually made the movie end on a, on a more positive, fun note and everything. So, that's, that's actually what I'm saying, is on a regular basis, you know, um, with this connection, I'm starting to realize, you know, and I'm talking through it just because I'm trying to make sure that I stay calm about everything, you know, as I'm going through this, um, what it's doing is, it's in a literal sense, programming.
reality itself, and this itself is a digital thing. Now, I have to question how this got here. Now, I'm told the story that this goes through a production process and everything. If, I, if I'm to investigate it, I will be told the story that this went through a Hollywood-style production process and everything in much the same way that Janeway tells Seven of Nine that she is Annika. But Janeway doesn't want to hear that she was never Annika and that she is trying to impose her values and her belief system on her and trying to make it so where she is more like her. That's what Janeway's doing. You know, she's flat out saying, look, you're not Borg. You're like me. We're going to strip that stuff away from you, and we're going to make you appear more like me. I mean, it's flat out that thing. Now, here's what, what Janeway does. She, her mind, works with the computer, creates a story, and she feeds that story to, uh, to Seven of Nine. Ultimately, Seven of Nine plays along with it. Now, she never identifies herself as Annika, because she's always Seven of Nine as far as she's concerned. She never agrees to buy Janeway's story. She goes along with it. And this is the interesting thing about this whole episode. Out of curiosity's sake, she's just exploring where Janeway's going with this, and this is why she chooses to go along with it. Hmm, this is interesting, she thinks. Somebody that's actually trying to convince me with a pretty solid story and everything that they believe in everything. Lesser species might actually think, you know, might actually be a little bit confused by this and, and think something different about it and actually accept it and, and buy, it off, uh, buy off on it. Let's explore this and see where it goes and see what she's doing. So she goes along with it. Now, here's the thing. For whatever reason, you know, that story of that Janeway is told, of Seven of Nine's origin and everything, is one-sided. It's one perspective only and everything. And in my opinion, it's quite likely that Seven of Nine never originated down that, uh, that path line and everything. That she's always been Seven of Nine. That she's always looked like Seven of Nine did prior to, uh, you know, to her transformation and everything. And, I, and you know, to be honest, I mean, I definitely prefer her transformation. You know, but the whole fact of the matter is, you know, her story and her origin and everything is only told, you know, um, in the process that, uh, it, that she's actually this woman, this young child called Annika, and that, you know, her childlike nature and everything makes it so where it's, you know, she's more resistant to the change and everything. Well, that's one, one perspective. The other perspective is you're telling yourself a story, Janeway, you know, that, uh, that leads you to believe everybody's like you because that's what you want to believe and that the Borg are some horrific abomination and everything that you just flat out don't understand. You know, and you don't understand how any any species, you know, could actually choose to to be a form that that uh, you don't understand or or that you don't fully agree with and everything. 
So, I mean, there's two sides of the story and everything, and the same thing holds true for Shazam. Yes, there's one story out there that says the origin, you know, is through movie makers and everything, potentially in Hollywood and other places and everything. That's one story. But I've got another story for you. That other story is pretty simple. It originated in, you know, imagination collective imagination. Now, I have yet to see proof that it actually originated through the supply chain that, uh, that it actually comes through the traditional movie production and everything. Sure, I saw images on the internet, but like any image, I realize those images can be created dynamically, just like the ones I saw on the, uh, you know, on, um, what was it, the, um, you know, the porn, porn site type stuff and everything. These look real. They they seem real and everything. But here's the thing. I recognize that like any story, in order for a story to perpetuate itself, and that's the story of this planet and the origin, the singular origin of things and everything, it's not always the case. You know, there could be multiple origins for things, you know, plain and simple. You know, um, there could be a blend of origins. I mean, that origin story in itself is one story, you know, but there's other stories too. You know, so let's say, um, let's say that there that there was at one point one origin for this movie and everything. But then I, my influence came along, and my influence suggested that uh, that it actually have a non-predictable ending. That it actually lighten up a bit and have a little bit of fun with it. And guess what happens? Boom! That origin story now gets permuted, and all of a sudden now we have a movie. And in that movie could potentially have two different stories to it. One, the original that may have been written by these actors and actresses in Hollywood. Two, is the one that I've updated that some actors and actresses actually might prefer and went along with this alteration and everything. Which one's accurate? Which one's right? Both of them are. So here's here's the thing. And this is actually what I've I've come to understand too, and, and why I'm creating my personal rules. My personal rules is if it's digital, um, my mind can make modifications to it and and do things as long as it's basically aligned with my desires and and what it is I'm trying to do. And for instance, Star Trek, I'm actually trying to. I've got an over overhead view of uh, Earth. I'm literally orbiting right now, and since I've been playing this game for the last ten years and everything. I've seen the complexity, diversity, and the overall detail on this Earth has grown exponentially. It has gotten to be really kind of beautiful from, from orbit and everything. Now, it's my belief to some degree that I'm actually creating um, this planet. And uh, eventually, my hope is that I can actually fly directly to the surface and everything um, with my starship and everything without actually having to go through this thing called warp. Um, now, the warp itself is uh, basically if, um, if I'm on the planet's surface, I warp up to the upper levels and everything. And at that point, it gives me a completely different view. Um, I can't fly directly down to the planet. Um, I have to actually warp um, space, and that's just because there's only so much that c could actually be contained within digital space. And as a result of that, um, there there's only so much uh, so much that can actually. Well, like I said, 
there's only so much that could be contained, you know, from a simulated perspective and everything. The simulated perspective is actually pretty limited. Um, however, if you're a little bit more creative with that simulation space and everything, there will be a way to be able to fly down to the surface and everything. So, anyways, my mind is working in conjunction with these digital creations and everything to expand the possibilities, to alter the possibilities. You know, it's doing this on a, dyna on a dyma dynamic basis, on a passive basis, mind you. And uh, I don't have to, have to act, have to actively um, say and do things, but when there is something I am active with, it does respond to me. So any, anyways, anything that's received to me um, that I'm actually seeing and experiencing through digital channels and everything, whether or not that's a TV show, that's a movie, that's a video game, um, that's content on my computer altogether, anything, my mind has a capability to, is actively, pass, is passively interacting with this. Um, I am actively, as an object, um, manipulating, playing with this computer and everything. Um, and I also actively, through speech processes and through um, through any number of different other means of communication, particularly through, through speech, you know, that's actually why I'm making a fact to actually talk to these podcasts and everything, that I, I can actually verbalize the commands and verbalize the things and at that point I will see the influences. Now sometimes it's like yesterday where I'm not going to say something out loud in a movie theater you know but I will think it and that that's the same thing that happened with with Q when he in interacted with a uh, with a uh, data on on Star Trek. He didn't have to influence uh, you know data to do this um, through a verbal command. He just thought I mean, my bet is, here's what he thought. It would be nice to actually give Data a gift of something he loved right now. And maybe the gift of laughter for 30 seconds. Boom. You know, he snaps out. Maybe he goes and he kicks back and he watches it. You know, from a TV screen. Just like I did. And maybe at one point, you know, we were two separate beings. You know, maybe um, this is something that was going on. My mind would actually get involved with things and everything, and at that point it was a passive basis where I would, I would be watching it, you know, not understanding my mind was literally projecting into these alternate realities. Now it's more active. You know, now my mind and me are one and the same and everything, and I'm creating, I'm shaping these skills, you know, um, in much the same way that, that a sculptor might work on clay, and in much the same way that, uh, you know, a, a marksman might actually be at a firing range, um, you know, or a car, a race car driver may be actually just tootling around and actually, you know, going and practicing on a car, on a race car. I've worked with digital technology my entire life, so it only makes natural, logical sense that I discover new ways that potentially other people never even imagined was possible and everything to interact with the digital channels and everything and to understand the digital channels um, in, in ways that were never envisioned by those that are actually going through the process of, you know, creating these technology tools and technologies. I mean, and that's only natural, you know, for something to be used, you know, by by people in ways that they had never imagined, flat out never imagined. You know, that, that happens all the time, where it's just like, well, shit, I never imagined that being used for that, you know, so, 
That happens all the time. So in any case, like I said, I'm over over planet Earth right now, and I actually love looking at it um, on occasion, and uh, like right now. And I'm seeing, you know, basically I'm in orbit of the uh, planet and everything. Now, two things I'd like to see sometime in the future is the game actually has a reference to time. Um, the simulation has a reference to time uh, relative to me. I would actually like to see the clock and the orbit of the um, sun, of the Earth around the sun, and the sun's position um, relative to the uh, to the planet itself be consistent with the uh, with the um, my time so in other words um, if I as I'm looking at the Sun right now it's the first time I've actually ever seen it um, that's actually looks like it could be consistent with my time period and uh, it, normally it isn't you know normally um, it'll be dark on And what I'm actually thinking. See, I always arrive at this position. So my bet is it's it's basically it's noon. Um, I'm wondering if the uh, terrain itself actually does move. I'm trying to see right now. Is it moving? Because I always, whenever I actually have to fly down to the towards the ground and everything. Now the problem is I can only come to within about a um, hundred. I'd say basically about 100 to probably even more than that. Maybe about 500 feet above ground level. That's the closest I could come before the atmosphere starts hitting me and, and I'm flat out disallowed from entering the uh, the atmosphere. So basically the mechanisms that have been put in place disallow me altogether. Now... I'm trying to watch, and what I'd like to see is a real um, rotation of the planet actually starting to occur. So I want to see more realistic conditions. I want to see the globe going around. Going around the, uh, the Earth, or the going around the Sun. And... I also want to see the rotation of the planet from this level and everything. It's going to be consistent with my own time period and everything. You know, so what, I, what I'm asking for is um, I would like to actually see it so where it on a real-time basis is depicting now and the, the cloud cover um, and everything from a meteorological perspective and everything is exactly as it occurs right here right now on this planet and everything so in other words if I was to actually go up with and leverage um, real satellites and everything the view that I would get from the satellite would be consistent with this view that would actually be really cool and also um, the time periods too you know so we're it, when it's dark here you know, it's going to be dark on uh, on over the United States and everything, and the United States is actually going to be on the other side of the planet and everything. And rotationally, it will rotate, you know, according accordingly and everything. And uh, right now, I think I'm. I mean, I'm looking at a time, and I, if memory serves me correct, I'm always having to go to the left, and 
at that point, uh, in order to fly over the United States, in particular the West Coast and everything, and uh, I can't get down to ground level or anything like that. I'm going to fly over there right now. Now, it looks like in about London, it's dark right now, which absolutely is consistent. Now, I'm going to look later tonight. Reminder to self, look later tonight. Yeah, I mean, over, over the, the uh, west coast and everything, I'm going to pull up a satellite map and see if the cloud covers the same. So, I doubt it is, but it would be really cool if it was. Yeah, the clouds are moving too fast. That's one of the problems. <laughs> Satellite map of United States clouds. Visible satellite. Yeah, they're moving much too fast. So, looking right now, global visible visible satellite. So here's infrared. Yeah, here's visible. Slowly but surely, I'm looking at it on the other computer right now. Now, it would be really cool if it was consistent with right now. Visible satellite, that's what I said right there. So here's here's the net um, net what I can call discovery. Um, the things that I pay attention to tend to tend to grow, tend to get more detail. The things that I investigate have a tendency to develop to become more than they were originally and everything. That's the overall tendency that I've noticed. And, you know, I had noticed that with, uh, with you know, people that I would date and everything, um, that their personalities seemed to grow and get more complex as I knew them and everything. And I had always, always told myself the story that the personality was always there, right? Um, but uh, at, I, I just, you know, over the years discovered more and more of it and everything. You know, but um, there's a, a certain limitation to that. And actually what I noticed was, well, that was one story. It's like Janeway's story of Annika, of uh, this woman named Monica. You know, it's her belief that uh, her history is, you know, consistent and everything. And, you know, that her observation at the Borg are, you know, are evil is, is validated because she ended up taking this, this girl named Annika. You know, and doesn't everybody want to be like me? You know, uh, that's like, you know, what's that Faye Dunaway or whatever that girl is. Everybody likes me! 
you know, that kind of thing and everything. Well, yeah, to a certain extent, but not everybody wants to be like you, you know. So that's that's the whole concept was, you know, I really do think that Janeway, um, yes, she's she has a potential to be right with her observation in reality, but she also has a potential to be wrong. You know, that Seven of Nine refers to herself as Seven of Nine. She never detaches from the collective and everything. The collective finds a different way to actually interact with her and everything, and she she ends up uh, discovering that, um, you know, that that to some degree, it's just like humans can actually be, you know, maybe this this journey, maybe this ride has its uh, has its reason, its fun, and everything. So in any case, um, you know, it just comes down to, oh my God, this computer's slow in contrast. You know, I worked on this one on this computer for years and everything, and it's just like I. I really take taken you know the new one. I just enjoy the hell out of it. Okay, I'm clicking on visible satellite imagery. There we go. And yeah, it doesn't look anything like it. Nothing at all. Not even close. So that's actually what I like to see, is, is a consistency. And it would be cool to look and see a real-time... So that's at 2.30 Eastern Time, which is 12.30 my time. And that's pretty much up to date and everything. Okay, here's one of the, the cool things. I'm noticing that the cloud cover itself... Yeah, it is a two-dimensional map. What they're doing is something called Perlin Noise. And uh, they're basically taking uh, one... looks like one, two, three maybe four different layers of uh, two-dimensional uh, maps to create uh, what appears to be, you know, the cloud cover. It's not a uh, true three-dimensional. It's basically, it's four separate layers that are actually circling around the Earth. It's kind of, it's kind of like a fake, a fake three-dimensional approach to it which is among the reasons you can't enter it, because once you get too close and everything, it'll actually uh, show the, uh, the two-dimensional nature of the, um, of the sky. So, in any case, it would actually be cool to see that become three-dimensional, and to actually see it become consistent with uh, the real-time data that I'm actually seeing on the Internet. So, with that said, you programmers who are putting this together and everything, I've got mad faith in you that you can do this. It would be kind of cool to be able to take my, uh, my little vessel and approach the landmass and actually fly in and uh, <laughs> see if it makes the news. That would actually be really cool is to uh, fly over a city and everything and see if it actually uh, made the news. But here's the thing, it would have to be a three-dimensional model. You know, that's one thing. So it couldn't be this fake two-dimensional shit because it's, uh, 
uh, but they would have to fundamentally change a lot. So the astrometric design of this actually being you've always got a top and up, um, you would have to actually change that. There would have to be the capability to be able to move the uh, vessel, a ship, in, in three dimensions, truly. So, so here's an example. If I actually try to go up, I've got... Um, at most, a 45 degree angle I can actually make towards the up, and I've actually got a ceiling I can go to. So, that 45 degree angle isn't realistic um, in order to actually simulate a three-dimensional space and everything. You're really not going to have any any true um, up or down in three-dimensional space. Um, the only time you'll ever really have an up is when you're on a planetary surface, or if you're in um, if you're on on board a ship, um, you're going to have a down, and that down is going to be towards the uh, the ant the gravity plates, you know, which are going to be uh, the floor the uh, the the floor of the uh, of the spaceship itself. Um, if you're on a space station itself, the down will be you know relative, so you'll be able to it'll be down it within the uh, the occupied space itself. So for instance, there's Deep Space Nine, there's uh, an orbiting space station, it's actually over Earth. Um, each one of these is, uh, you're gonna have to have um, gravity, uh, art an artificial form of gravity and everything that's gonna simulate that's ac what's actually on the planet. And uh, that planet's downwards force as well is gonna be consistent with the gravity that's actually gonna be on board the ship vessels as well. So. And that will actually, that simulation, there will be a down relative to the internals of the vessel and everything, but external to the vessel, no matter what angle that is at. So if I'm actually going to go and stop the ship, um, right now I'm at a 45 degree angle. Um, down for somebody, for an occupant of the vessel will actually be um, at that 45 degree angle. Uh, it's going to be straight down. Um, relative to the ship's uh, ship's position, so no matter which way I turn, down will always remain the same internally inside the vessel. So if I'm pointed um, right now, I'm pointed down at a 45 de degree angle. Um, well, I'm yeah. So it, here's the thing. You know, if you're actually going up or down or left or right, um, straight down or something like that. Internally, gravity will always go towards the floor, the internal artificial gravity. And the same thing holds true for the space station, too. Now, if there's a loss of gravity, um, there will be no downwards force. None, when you're in space. Now, when you're on the planet, though, you won't have a loss of gravity. I mean, there's gravity deviations and everything, such as mystery spot and that kind of stuff. But uh, here in, uh, in space... Um, the gravity is only going to be felt by the occupant of the vessels, and that's going to be within the vessel, relative to the vessel, the internal of the vessel itself. You get outside that vessel, you won't feel the effects of, of the artificial gravity that's actually created inside that vessel. And the same thing holds true for the space stations, too. So the space stations themselves will have an artificial form of gravity within it. Um, maybe not where the ships actually come in and dock, but maybe the moment that the passengers actually get off that ship, when the uh, when they get into the space station and they actually dock. So I'm gonna, for instance, I'm gonna go to the space station right now. 
flying up to it, the door should open. It's not this. Yeah, this one opens. And uh, if I enter this bay, um, I enter this bay and I'm in three-dimensional space and everything. I should be in three-dimensional space right now where I can go up, down, left, right and everything. Now, if I enter this three-dimensional space, um, I will be able to dock and that is still um, a gravity-free area that I'm actually docking in inside, literally inside the space station and everything. Um, but once that actually docks and it makes a connection to um, to whatever, to the doors, to the bay doors and everything, um, at that point, um, that once you're actually connected, that leads to the internals of both vessels. And at that point, that is actually... Uh, that's actually the uh, gravity zone, gravity area and everything. So, and gravity itself is just nothing more than, what, 9.8 meters per second downwards, or if you want to put it in reference to feet. Huh, I'm seeing something new here. That's interesting. I've never seen that before. It got weird lights over Africa. So, I'm going to... Is that a space station, or what is that? I'm going to zoom over towards it. Okay, I'm not exactly going to zoom, am I? It's got me in some kind of maneuvering mode. Here we go. Oh, it's just a ship. Yeah, I'm going to go to the other side of the planet. See, here's the thing. I should be able to fly all around the planet, but I can't actually fly on the bottom side of it. And I should also be able to move my ship um, relative. So I should be able to position it to be vertical and parallel to the uh, to the ground and everything. And unfortunately, I cannot do that. So I can't actually... Let's say I want to rotate my ship on the... Um, so, let's say you've got three axes altogether. So you've got the z-axis, which is up and down. You've got the uh, x-axis, which is going to be... Yeah, it'll be forward. It'll be up and down, or forward uh, relative to the ship. The front, this... Let's come up. What's, what's the term? Proper term for bow. Port and starboard okay so port is left starboard is right and stern Okay, so you've got the stern of the vessel, which is the rear. Port is the left. Starboard's the right. So, if we're going to be rotating, we're going to be rotating... Um, so, the x-axis 
What is a front? What is the front of a ship called? Bow. Okay. So, the bow is the front, the stern is the back, the port is the left, and the starboard is on to the right. So, if I'm going to be moving on the x-axis, um, I should be able to, in theory, be able to rotate um, to port, only to port, and, and starboard. Um, and that would be rotating on one axis alone. And that would be support and starboard would actually be on the y-axis. So let's just actually consider the uh, the center of the ship and everything is is at x y z zero. Now, if I was to actually rotate along the y axis, I would be rotating the port to the port or starboard of the ship and everything. Um, if I was to be rotating on the uh, on the x axis, I would be rotating on the um, on the on the bow or the stern. So the bow is the the front, the stern is the back. And if I was to be rotating on the z-axis, um, that would actually be spinning the ship around to the left or right. So that would actually be rotational, equivalent to the rotational of using the A and the D keys right now. So the A and the D keys is moving movement on the z-axis. The bow and the stern is equivalent to the Y and the A. Now, can I actually, can I rotate? So that's pinch, turn up, turn left. So, let's see if there's other movement keys here that I'm missing. No, it doesn't appear so. So pitch up, turn left, turn right. So what we need... So we've got pitch up and down, that's balance stern. We got left and right, which is port and starboard. Now, left and right is a uh, Z axis. So what we need is a way to be able to move on the 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 y axis. I'm gonna see. Is there any way to do this through key commands? So that's actually what I'm uh, what I'm gonna be working on is uh, just gonna be playing around the whole mind body connection and everything, or mind and 
computer connection and everything. So, in any case, I've rambled on for a little while. As I'm playing Star Trek Online, the uh, thing I'm saying is, um, that's I really think is really just kind of cool, is if you ever think about um, the formation, the visual formation of the galaxy and everything, um, it's, it, it's kind of like a... If I had not been there to observe it, you know, it's it's a would it actually exist in a visual way? And the same thing holds true for um, you know the sounds. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the uh, the saying, you know, if a tree falls in the wood, does it, and no one's around to hear it, does it make a noise? Well, it's it, I I look at the galaxy and uh, I sit there and I go, wow, you know, to some degree, the visual formation of it, the 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 idea and the concept of of light and how it actually appears, you know, um, to me, um, I do not believe it existed in the way that I perceive it and I choose to perceive it and everything until I actually choose chose to start observing it and everything, and um, observing it in the nature that I am. Now, Star Trek Online is, you know, it is a an, an adventure through the galaxy and through the digital formation of it as it's becoming analog. And I'll I'll explore it, you know, as it becomes analog. I'll I'll be able to have these destinations that I'm seeing, you know, to places to go to and everything. You know, the digital segues to the analog over time, and I'm already seeing evidence of that as, you know, things like gravity and inertia and all that kind of stuff are starting to come into play in very weird ways and everything, where, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll go to a stop and uh, my, my guy will immediately come to a stop, and other times, inertia will keep on taking them right with it. And it's just like, huh, that's really interesting. Sometimes inertia works, sometimes it doesn't. That's just the digital world, and it's in its uh, formative stages and everything. You know, it's not a flaw of programming, it's just a formative world and everything. So, in any case, one of the things I just noticed that I got a kick out of was, um, I was uh, watching this formation, um, this really neat effect about uh, there's a uh, an exploding ordinance that uh, destroys, uh, that sucks everything. It's more or less an artificial singularity. And what happens is it takes a, a ship and it more or less pulls anything within the vicinity to it, um, particularly the enemies. Uh, the funny thing is the... Uh, they, it doesn't affect um, friends, it only affects enemies, so that part of it's a little bit interesting. But in any case, it's um, it's a singular, it's a point in, point in space that uh, sucks everything to it and causes some massive amounts of damage until it dissipates. Well, this is pretty, uh, pre pretty spot on when it comes down to how it would actually occur, you know, where the natural world itself would uh, would actually eventually collapse a singularity and uh, more or less just basically to keep things stable and everything. You know, it does the same thing on a terrestrial, you know, with um, things like hurricanes and tornadoes and that kind of stuff. You know, they don't, um, they're, they're not allowed to persist because the will of people simply doesn't want it to persist. You don't want to be destroyed by a tornado. You know, most people don't want to be destroyed by a, a tornado. You know, so, you know, for the most part, or at least that's my assumption anyways. Um, but in any case, um, what I noticed was about these points is they're two-dimensional. And I had noticed, and at first, my first reaction was to say, okay, so I'm, I'm traveling around in three-dimensional space, but as I move around, the 
the image of the the singularity um, exists as a single flat two-dimensional image and everything that's basically rotating and uh, or it's, it's animated and everything I mean it's really beautiful you know kind of cool and everything but I, I just the first knee-jerk reaction was to say oh that's not realistic you know um, but then all of a sudden I started really realizing wait a second maybe it is you know, if you start thinking about it from, you know, this is a formative stage and everything, and a two-dimensional image itself um, would be relative to the observer. You know, so, and me as an observer, the the interesting thing is I get to see, you know, the how, how an image of something forms from a three-dimensional perspective and how that image could be potentially two dimensions. Now, I'm noticing this with something else. Um, I've got... Uh, I've been tweaking the settings on, I've got the secondary machine that I've been playing with the simulation on, and um, one of the things I, I've noticed with it is uh, I've been trying to increase the, the improvement, despite the fact that the machine is not nearly as good as the uh, my primary gaming machine and everything, I'm trying to make it so where the playability of it is roughly equivalent, you know. So I've got the beautiful graphics on one machine, but the other machine is the one that, uh, that I'm playing with saying, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I've got the secondary account and it's helping the fleet and accumulate, uh, accumulate some wealth for the fleet and everything. <coughs> well, I had noticed something peculiar. Um, they've got, uh, what I noticed was, um, that, hold on a second, I just won this, uh, I was battling at the same time, competitive Warmax, let's do competitive ones, um, so what I had noticed was that uh, they, um, as I was tweaking the settings and I got what I considered the fine-tuned point of where it's it's manageable, it's fast, it's uh, speedy for the reactions and everything, and combined with that, it's also, uh, um, you know, decent enough looking and everything that, you know, it still shows, you know, shows a little bit of uh, the, the detail and everything without actually, you know, robbing uh, me of uh, the capability to be able to play at a rate that, you know, the gameplay is like the, uh, like the, the faster computer I have and everything. Now, what I noticed was really kind of an odd observation. Um, that there was, uh, I was actually in Starfleet Academy, and it's a big, huge, wide open area, and it's got the exchange in there, it's got a bank, it's got a cafe, it's got a little information desk, it's got the hollow, um, the holodecks in there, and, uh, you can't actually use the holodeck in, in the sense that, uh, you would be able to on, you know, a real starship and everything, um, you know, unfortunately, not yet. That would be one really cool addition was to be able to go into um, into things and actually create and, you know, play with simulations directly as an avatar inside the game and everything. Um, but you can actually walk onto the holodeck, I can see it. But here's what I noticed that was a little bit peculiar in a what I consider to be a peculiar, odd way. Um, it uh, as I'm looking around, I'm starting to realize, and this is on the slower machine. The fast machine's showing everybody, and it's they're looking crystal clear and everything. But uh, when I look at uh, people inside the um, with the slower machine, because of the latency and everything, um, I would go so far to say maybe at least half of the population is blinking sporadically. I mean, rapidly blinking and everything. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Now, when I had gone to, um, 
take a let's rewind my time seven eight years and everything when I'm staying here with my mom and dad the first time um, when I'm going through uh, the experiences that I am trying to you know get off of the addiction and everything um, I went went out to a club with my brother one night now this place was supposed to be happening and everything and I'm just noticing some really weird shit go on around me and everything and one thing in particular is I we went out to this one club that is it, it looks like it's packed outside there's shitload of cars when we walk inside and it's it's almost as if a third of the people um, that were or two-thirds of the people that were supposed to be there weren't there it's almost like I felt a presence of two-thirds of the people but uh, only I could only see a third of the people now I'm wondering you know if there's a similarity you know between what I see in, in this uh, Starfleet thing you know on the older machine and everything and the blinking and was you know was I experiencing a problem with dilation of time and is there filler you know, in the in much the same way that uh, a movie sh movie or TV show might have extras, you know, people that are background that don't have don't have any real um, presence or anything like that, and they're they're never intended from a calculated per perspective and everything for me to actually go up and approach them. So as a result, they're shallow. Uh, presences. They're not intended, you know, to be um, anything other than just basically background noise, something to add, you know, to the sense that there's a lot more going on in this world than uh, than there first appears to be at uh, first glance and everything. Now, I've suspected this is actually true with other things. For instance, you know, you look at a, um, a big city and everything, and, um, you know, let's say, let's say, you know, a good two-thirds of the buildings and everything um, are buildings that you would just pass by and never actually go into. And Grand Theft Auto is kind of like a, a very similar t thing, too. You know, you've got a whole shitload of buildings in Grand Theft Auto, you know, the vast majority of which you can't enter, you know, but um, the game gives you just enough, enough um, involvement in everything that at first glance, you know, it appears like had you had you just played the storyline and done nothing else, then chances are um, uh, not not that great that you're actually going to try to walk into some of these buildings and everything, you know. But if you actually play the game a little bit further, you start realizing that some of these buildings and everything. Um, I mean, in my case, I realize that uh, the vast majority of buildings you can't walk into. You know, um, and not only that, but uh, I mean, I I feel like that's not just half. That's not just you know the video world, but I also suspect that it's actually the real world too. That uh, a lot of these businesses that appear to be you know providing business uh, things and everything for people and everything are um, not just uh, potentially formative, you know, but they're shallow. They're um, they're really they, there's nothing there to the business and everything, and and inevitably the program itself um, that they actually run on and everything will find a way to get you to push away or reject you in order to basically make it so where you go to a business that's actually more or less respond you know that that can actually respond to you in a way that is um you know that is guided and this is my suspicion is this is how reality functions um for the most part now and it's just like if you look at look at businesses like 
Acme. Have you ever been to a business named Acme? And yet you see them all the time. Um, you know, it's, it, there's different, uh, all kinds of different businesses like that and everything. You know, and that's the whole thing. It's just like if you ever um, really question your reality and everything, you know, try going, you know, going through the phone book and everything and taking a, a roll of the, the dice, literally. You know, let's say you've got to go, um, you know, you've got to go somewhere. And, um, I don't know, let's say you need tools or something like that. Don't go to Home Depot. Roll the dice. Look at look at uh, all the different places and everything. Roll the dice and actually go to that business and everything. You know, you're going to find uh, something... Uh, you know, and the way I look at it is, you know, it's it's like peering, starting to be here, peer behind the screen. You start realizing how um, the limitations of of reality. But uh, I started realizing it early on, you know, with the um, video games. Now, here's the question that I really have for myself too: Is the reason I have these observations on the outside world because of the influences of what I'm actually seeing in the in the uh, video games? Very, very, very much possible. Um, my mind could, could, in a literal sense, be affecting reality in such a way to create this um, illusion, you know, and, and, and sense of constraint and sense of, you know, um, limitations and everything, you know, but uh, it doesn't make it any less real. That's the way I look at it. So the way I, the way I look at it is how do you, how do you break this, um, this concept and this idea and everything? And to some degree, you just um, one of the episodes of uh, Big Bang. My mom just had me had sh- or shown me uh, got a kick out of was uh, Sheldon. He's uh, rolling the dice and everything for um, they end up going to uh, go out for dinner and everything. And he takes his his Dungeons and Dragons dice with him and he actually rolls the dice to determine what he's going to eat. He wants to eat something different, so he literally rolls the dice and everything. Personally, I think it's a brilliant move. Um, you know, so that's, you know, and I've actually started choosing my passwords the same way. You know, I have the same password, and for some reason, I keep on getting hacked and everything, according to, you know, if I would listen to the uh, the information I'm getting from these different various companies and everything. So, you know, I've actually been generating my passwords, you know, in part through my imagination, ideas, and concept that I'm presenting, just basically saying, uh, this number, this letter, and all of a sudden I'll roll the dice for two or three or four times or whatever, you know, and uh, ultimately I'll have a, uh, a maximum size password and everything. Um, based on uh, nothing more than a roll of the dice and everything, combined with a little bit of my own uh, influence and everything. So, in any case, um, you know, I'm seeing kind of like, uh, you know, if you look at um, the the primary game machine that I have, every character appears solid, absolutely solid. You know, but if you take a look at the same characters, the same exact characters, I could literally be standing in the same area. Um, great majority of them, at least half of them, are going to be blinking, and there's no, um, there's no real rhyme or reason to it. So it could actually be, you know, somebody real close to me could be blinking, and a couple characters far away could be could not be blinking. And similarly, you know, it could be two characters, uh, you know, that are right walking right next to another one. And two of them are blinking, and one, and one is not, you know. And it's not distance-oriented. The way I look at it is it's potentially based on um, this whole concept and idea that some things are strongly, more strongly formed, you know, in reality, and um, other things are not. And as things become more formed, their definition becomes more defined in everything, um, that creates more of a physical image presence in everything, 
um, for the reality and everything that I see. So, it's just based on observation and everything. So, the things, the things that I'm actually seeing in space, you know, the two-dimensional presence of that uh, singularity and everything, well, I mean, from a single perspective, um, the singularity itself has, isn't still in the formula, uh, formula, the formulization stage. It's still being formed. Um, and it's not that, it's not a programmer's problem, per se, about its existence in two-dimensional space and everything, or three-dimensional space, um, appearing to be two-dimensional from a two-dimensional perspective and everything. So, in any case, I just, um, I'm finding the formative, um, anomalies really interesting. You know, and it's kind of a tell about how, you know, how to some degree the real world works, why it does what it does and everything, and why it necessitates an influence like mine in it. You know, I mean, if you're looking for mathematical precision and that kind of stuff, well, eventually you're going to predict yourself right into a hole and find yourself that really, really bored. You know, um, ultimately it comes down to you need you need definition, you need meaning, and uh, that meaning is self-assigned. You know, it's something that you give yourself based on, you know, however many observations, and, and actually, after that, just simply what you fucking enjoy. So, and uh, the world team seems to go along with that, so, in any case, eh, that's about it for now. Oh, um, one last thing is I, uh, I've got something called Robotask that I'm using, and um, it, um, it allows me to send messages, it's a really cool tool, I think I talked about it a little bit the other day. Well, I just thought of an idea for it. I'm going to leave it on my character on overnight, and uh, normally there's a, an AFK, um, so if you're in a wave from keyboard, it'll actually uh, log you out after 60 minutes and everything. Um, I'm actually going to leave it on and um, start uh, sending messages and act as if um, my character is an NPC in this area. And, uh, oh, excuse me, and uh, more or less... Um, Put him right next to the seashore over in uh, Starfleet. So I'm gonna. There's a bench that's uh, right next to it, and I've got it on a message, uh, a looping message, and everything. And what I'll try to do is also put myself in Starfleet Academy instance number one. Um, I'm gonna try to get to that one every time. Let's see if I can actually transfer there. Yeah, I can. Um, I'll, I'll transfer myself there when I log out or when I uh, I go to sleep for the night and everything, and you know, just keep my character parked there on a regular basis and everything, just basically uh, with a random message and everything. So, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, the, the primary idea is just basically to give myself persistent presence in this, in this world. Wow, the latency is pretty bad in this, uh, in this instance. Um, but uh, in any case, yeah, I'm just going to have him sitting in, in, uh, on occasion every, uh, every um, more or less 42 seconds he'll say a new message. 42 is giving homage to uh, Mr. Douglas Adams. And um, that message will come with a pause. And it'll say, he'll have a, a three second pause. He'll say something and he'll pause three seconds and he'll say something else. And uh, that's just going to be the extent of it. There's not going to be much of anything else to it. There's a whole shitload of commands that, uh, that I can actually issue. And 
a lot of this isn't is, isn't used in game. So you've got the capability to set your camera distance and everything. This is actually built-in commands into the STO interface, the Star Trek interface. And um, there's some that are actually kind of mysterious. Time control underscore set. Um, so it's one word underscore or time control underscore set. Um, warp to recruit, which is something I definitely want to try. Let's actually let's see if that works now. Warp to recruit. Let's say Kenna. That recruit was not on your team. So let's see if I can actually test. Kenna Patel. So let's see if I can do this. Warp to recruit. Kenna Patel at Eight nine two two. And uh oh. Oh, okay. Let's see if I can do that. Eight nine two two. Eight nine two two. That recruit was not on your team. Ah. Can I actually? Add her as a friend and warped her. I want to see how this warp thing works. Oh, so, anyways, oh, I'm gonna keep on playing. Supposed to go for a damn workout, but my mom's running late. So, anyway, hey there, it's me again. It's gonna upload these today, but. Uh, it didn't quite happen that way. But uh, one thing I've noticed with Star Trek Online is it's um, really kind of interesting that um, I'm actually seeing uh, okay, erase that, pretend you didn't hear that, and let me start again. So Star Trek Online I'm playing and um, Again, everything that I'm looking at is, is not just a game, it's also a simulation, it's also a real world that I'm actually experiencing and everything. And uh, what I've noticed is um, that about midway, about let's say I task switch in between um, that and maybe I go to Winamp or iTunes or Pandora or what's the other one I use? Spotify. Um, Spotify and uh, Winamp are the two primary ones that I use and typically I'm listening to trance, um, you know, trance techno or um, maybe like a, an Enya or a Contra one, something that uh, keeps it mellow and everything. Sometimes I'll turn it to classical, um, sometimes I'll turn it to rock, but most of the time it's typically in between like a Contra one, Baligomingo, Enya type stuff, and and also trans techno. So, in any case, um, I'll switch back and forth um, pretty regularly. And uh, at first I was getting fucking irritated because the uh, every time I would go back, um, it's like the colors would would become faded and everything, and then maybe anywhere between 30 seconds to 5 minutes into it, it would all of a sudden, you know, go go dark at this point, and I was constantly messing with the gamma. Well, I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is going on with this? And then yesterday, or day before yesterday, I started picking up on what was going on, and um, I, I realized that in one mode, um, particularly the lighter mode, you know, where the black is, is a little bit uh, wider than um, than the than the the black that's actually much deeper and darker and richer and everything. Um, 
I'm also noticing that uh, the special effects and the the effects that are going on within the universe and everything, particularly when it's black after it's actually changed color. So let's say I task switch. I go from this to Winamp, and then I go back. Well, it comes back, and it's just basically everything's in subdued colors and everything. So it's more subdued um, blacks. It's more subdued hues, hues altogether. Now, it literally just now it changed, and it, it's been about uh, three minutes since the last time I ended up switching back. And as I look around, you know, one thing that I, I began noticing about two days ago was not just that the uh, special effects and everything, um, that the effects seemed a little bit more vivid, but that there was a little bit more, um, that there was actually some special effects that were not going on. It's almost like there's a superimposed screen, you know, so there's one screen, you know, the, the black, the less subdued blacks and everything. Um, the one that I task switched to, it's almost like it's the colors are not as vibrant and everything. And then I I switch back and all of a sudden it's just, you know, and, and all of a sudden about two minutes, three minutes into it, it'll, it'll all of a sudden flicker and it'll come to this more richer, more colorful, more beautiful um, colors. And, and in some cases, and this is actually what I noticed yesterday, there's special effects that are going on um, with the more, the richer colors, uh, the richer color scheme than there is with the other stuff. Now, I, I looked through the UI and I started thinking at first, you know, when I first started saying this, that this is a feature of the UI and everything, you know, and the user interface is doing this, and I don't think that's the case. You know, I think what I'm actually seeing is just actually um, two steps, a binary uh, attempt to actually um, more or less portray um, the quantum world and everything, and the binary filters uh, that are actually superimposed on screens and that kind of stuff and everything, that uh, more or less prevents me from seeing the quantum um, quantum reality. And this right here, I mean, basically what I'm saying is I'm receiving an interpretation at most of the times, that's my theory, uh, most of the times of the quantum universe and everything, um, when I look through the computer and everything. So it's a binary interpretation of it. It's kind of like a filter. It's a, in a real sense of the word, it's a window. You know, however, with this, all of a sudden it'll go through this and that binary interpretation will be stripped away and all of a sudden I'll see a real window into the quantum world and, and it's my feeling that this is actually a quantum um, a quantum computer you know this is I'm, I'm seeing a, a quantum universe and everything and uh, with this the colors are so much more vivid and so much more beautiful and the special effects are pretty fucking crazy too you know I mean sure it has some of the same special effects but you know when it comes down to it yesterday I'm seeing explosions and these supernovas and that kind of shit it's just like wow that's pretty effing cool so anyways I'm I'm actually kind of amazed and I'm trying hard not to actually task switch back and forth because it starts off with the subdued colors and then it'll slowly switch off. So, and uh, yeah, after after a while, it's just like, eh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a channel and stick to it and everything from a listening perspective. So now I'm actually uh, going through Winamp trying to find something that that will actually um, entertain me and uh, make it so where I can't I don't have to change it now. One other thing I can potentially do that I was doing before was I'd have Spotify going on both machines and Spotify on this machine, 
the, my primary gaming machine and everything, I can actually control from the other machine. So not only do I get in-game and in-world uh, sounds and everything, but I'm also getting Spotify as a background noise and everything. Now, uh, one thing that I, uh, I ended up doing that I'm really kind of getting annoyed with every time STO does an update is it'll go through and reset my uh, all my settings, my customized settings uh, for my sound to the defaults. And it uh, doesn't do it with anything else, just the sound settings. So um, I'll turn off the F the special effects. I'm tired of listening to the special effects uh, sounds. Um, I'll turn off the music. You know, the whole Star Trek theme playing in a loop in the background is really fucking annoying. And uh, they seriously need to do something about that. If you actually want to have background music and everything, um, having the same... Dun, 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 dun. You know, um, hearing it the first time, the first couple times, and everything, it's it's cool, you know. But after a while, it gets really fucking irritating. It would be nice to actually have different theme music based on where I'm going. For instance, I go to Soul, you know, to the Soul System, to you know, to Earth, and you know, maybe there's a different theme that actually plays there. You know, it's kind of weird that they pay so much attention to the visuals, but they do so little when it comes down to the special effects from a sound perspective and everything. You know, sure, you have pew, 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 you know, from a sound perspective, and that's all you really hear is pew, pew, pew. So I turn that off, I mean, the special effects and everything. And yeah, you've got some voices in there, you know, um, but the voices, all they're doing is basically doing a narrative uh, and saying everything that actually goes in the dialogue. And a lot of times, um, particularly since I'm doing Battlegrounds, the it's the same dialogue over and over and over and over again. So I've turned the voices off as well. Now, we'll put it this way. Um, I have the ambient noise going because there's some interesting ambient noise that I hear that, uh, depending on where I'm at, I actually hear different, uh, different um, background noise. That's what ambient is. You know, so I can actually go to the planet or I could go to uh, the Aridon cluster or something like that. And I will hear different sounds, you know, based on where I'm at. Sometimes I could be in the middle of space and all of a sudden I'll hear, you know, some weird sounds that are magnified and everything. So I've got the ambient volume turned up a little bit um, from the default setting and everything just because I'm kind of curious about these ambient sounds and everything, where they're coming from. And not only that, but the music itself was actually uh, bleeding it out and making it hard to actually hear. So that was even more reason to turn down the music. The music was already annoying me and had been annoying me for a long time anyways. You know, don't get me wrong, like the Star Trek theme, you know, the first hundred times. You know, but after that, it's just like, come on, people. I'm really tired of it. I mean, even now as I'm watching Star Trek, um, you know, Star Trek, what is it? Uh, oh, what's the show? Voyager. Um, I found myself fast-forwarding through the opening sequence and everything. Sure, it's cool, you know, the first hundred times I watched it, but after that, I was just like, I'm done. I'm so done with that. So, anyways, um, yeah, the voice, I've got the voice, the FX, and the music volume all the way down. And the FX, the big reason for it is, sure, um, they're they're pertinent, you know, when it comes down to. I mean, you know, seeing something fire, a laser fire, or a turret fire, or a uh, a bomb go off, or a grenade go off, or something like that. Yeah, it's relevant to that, but 
you know, hearing it hundreds and thousands of times and everything, you know, at least I've got the cool visuals, you know, of seeing the star system in the background and everything to keep me entertained with the battlegrounds. Now I'm not, uh, I'm not dissing uh, Star Trek Online. It's, it's beautiful, you know, to some degree, particularly aesthetically. You know, it's got some really, really beautiful stuff about it and everything. Um, but it can certainly use a lot of work when it comes down to the sound. So that's actually the uh, the one request I would have towards the developers of this is just basically you're doing a great job placing on the visuals, maintain that. Now just focus on the sound. What's going on with the sound? Why do we have one theme song that plays over and over again everywhere I go? Um, why do we not have a, a true ambient uh, ambient background music? You know, in the same way that we have ambient background sounds. You know, most games like World of Warcraft and that kind of stuff, they've actually got an ambient background music that's playing, and, and that's actually kind of cool and everything. So play a background, uh, an ambient background music, and maybe think about changing it, too, on occasion. You know, so, and the same thing holds true for, uh, you know, for the, um, for the voices as well. You know, um, there's, in my opinion, there's absolutely no reason that uh, the primary character um, shouldn't have a voice. Um, that's one thing that's really irritating. And, uh, and the second thing, too, is um, why the primary character doesn't, uh, you know, anytime they're interacting, why they don't have more diversity in the dialogue chains. And uh, not only that, but uh, why is it you go see somebody, and um, when you see them, when you meet them and everything, why is it you're having to deal with uh, the same dialogue over and over and over again? Yeah, sure, you're doing battlegrounds and everything, but why, you know, it'd be nice to actually have some variability when it comes down to the dialogue, you know, with that character and everything. At least for me it would be, you know, other, I mean, it's just so static, it's just like, you know, I know you guys can do better than this. You know, absolutely know you can do better than this. You know, I'd like to see it. So, you know, just through diversity in the dialogue chain and everything. And you're removing boundary, you know, so there's your incentive, you know, to create a new system and everything that makes it so where you can actually have more variability in the dialogue chains and everything and uh, also some potential randomness, you know, with, uh, with what's going on with key events and everything. Somebody like me, you know, if you actually had a robust tool um, that was, um, Foundry itself was just very confining and very um, too, too structured with its approach and everything. Um, now, I'm not looking for something, you know, as freeform as like a blender or something like that. You know, but if you have something that's a, a lot more capability for me to actually um, easily uh, create a uh, create elements, uh, you know, in a building. Let's say um, I actually have a time traveling episode I, I have in mind um, based on my life and everything. I like the idea of actually creating the apartment complex, the same look and feel. Maybe having cars that are actually driving by, making what I consider to be an immersive 2006 era environment and everything. That uh, for the most part looks and feels pretty real. It would be cool to be able to have the tools to be able to achieve something like that and maybe um, creating my own terrain, maybe importing my own assets or something like that from other places and everything to be able to achieve this. Getting real world snapshots of it and maybe um, superimposing the a top-down view of the map and being able to actually work from that too. That would be really cool by the way, is to be able to superimpose a top-down map of something and everything and maybe AI could actually work out um, what that structure looks like from the ground level and I can modify it from there, you know, and just basically say, oh, okay, that's, that's cool and all, but nah, here's where, where we're wrong and everything. 
and uh, maybe, I don't know, it, that would actually be really cool too, is if I could actually feed it several different assets, maybe the look and feel of the place and everything from pictures, um, combined with a uh, top-down view from a satellite perspective of, of something, um, combined with um, maybe environmental type stuff and everything too, such as location, the geographic location, GPS-wise and everything, um, combined with... Um, I, I mean, I can actually set the time zone to make it so where we can actually have temporal relativity on it and everything. And to actually have this thing generate dynamically a, a real world, um, what actually looks like a real world version of it and everything based on me including assets. I'm talking about something definitely a non-traditional editor and everything where basically I'm feeding images and I'm feeding a satellite view and everything into it and uh, from there it generates the uh, the building and everything and uh, maybe I could even go so far to generate to uh, provide some uh, some um, overviews, you know, some, uh, what is it, um, uh, floor plans, you know, some of the, uh, some of the apartments in, in an area that I'm looking at and everything, and, uh, maybe I could actually have it, uh, generate the interiors for these places and everything as well. You know, so you see a door, boom, you know that going behind that door, you know, there's a structured floor plan and everything. Well, at that point, take that structured floor plan and, um, you know, more or less make it so you can actually walk through each each building, each room and everything. Maybe populate it, you know, with uh, some dynamic um, occupants and everything as well that are relevant towards that area and everything. So... I mean, maybe I can actually set some demographics for a particular location. See, that would be really cool. If I could actually take this to the next level, you know, when it comes down to a simulation perspective and everything, and make it so where you can actually develop a three-dimensional environment without actually having to have robust knowledge of the three-dimensional tools. That would be fucking awesome. You know, so to, I mean, for me, one of the biggest complaints I have about any of the three-dimensional tools that are out there is the uh, the inability that I have to basically say, hey, you know, I want to grab certain things, you know, from different locations and everything. I want to grab a floor plan. I want to gra grab a look and feel. I want to grab a um, geographical location and everything. Um, I want to gra uh, grab a uh, topographical uh, map and everything of the uh, terrain. And uh, here's where I want this and everything. Now, you know, can you from this actually generate me, you know, a realistic looking um, building from an exterior perspective and uh, from an interior perspective, can you generate a, uh, a realistic looking interior and everything complete with, uh, with working functioning items within it too. I mean, that, that would be taking it to next level clearly, you know, but to, to be able to actually have a house that I can actually walk into and turn on the TV, you know, or, um, you know, I mean, I'm talking about the virtualized environment and everything to turn on the TV and see a TV station and everything. Um, you know, I mean, that would be really fucking cool to be able to take all these things. And for me, it's just like from an artificial intelligence perspective, it, I can actually think, you know, it's not that hard. I mean, it is kind of hard, you know, I mean, from a programmer's perspective. You know, um, there's a lot of things that you have to do. I mean, basically you have to, let's say I feed it a texture, and this is a texture of the building, this is a texture of the roof. You have to recognize what's a, uh, the texture of the building, what's the texture of a roof, um, maybe the textures of the windows and everything, and uh, you also have to extrapolate from what I give you for the, uh, for the location and everything, for the altitude, basically uh, the day-night cycles and everything, and also the seasonal location too, or the seasonal information. So if I have a date of January 13th, sunrise is going be different than uh, than it is, and sunset's going to be typically different than it is uh, if I, if it's July 13th. 
you know, so taking that into account is definitely something important and everything, but there's no reason you shouldn't be able to extrapolate the exterior information and everything from images that I feed it, if I make it capable of feeding it. Um, in addition to that, also coming up with collision maps, you know, to make it so where um, these collisions are occurring. And in addition to that, also mapping where a perspective um, door is going to be to actually enter, enter location, and from there, taking those blueprints that I might provide and everything and coming up with a, an interior map based on best fit and everything, you know, for that blueprint and everything. And if uh, if you don't have a blueprint for a particular area room, just basically taking uh, taking what's left and what's remaining and and taking that design and coming up with the best fit design and everything for that uh, for that area, you know. So when it comes down to it, it's just like it's. You know, that's the whole thing, is um, if Star Trek actually innovated, you know, from a design perspective, took Foundry and completely fucking trashed it, you know, um, and um, I'm not saying that in a, in a mean way. I'm saying it served its purpose and it actually provided me, you know, some fun and enter entertaining stories and everything without hesitation, but it was highly limited, you know, and it was so limited with its and singular minded, you know, with its approach and everything that I had a hard time working with it, you know, so much so that I couldn't work with it. Now, I would love to be able to have something where I can just basically take disparate imagery, take take you know, take information from different sources and everything, and just basically upload it and boom, you know, I've got my terrain. Now, here's the cool thing. I can focus on the story. I don't have to focus on the design of the environment and everything, particularly if I'm leveraging, you know, um, real world terrains or maybe even fantasy drawn terrains and that kind of stuff. And uh, mixing and merging that with um with stories that I actually might tell of my own past or of, you know, of other people's influences and everything, or, or of imaginary sequences that I create. That's what I love the idea of doing, is being able to take all this information, plug it in, basically say, hey, here's a three-dimensional environment and everything that you can walk, talk, and everything through. Um, here's the time of day. And from here, boom, I can actually work on the environment or the interactions between the people. This is where, for, for me, the story really is. I can focus on the interactions, the dynamics. I can focus on um, maybe the weird events that might happen and everything. I don't have to focus on the 3D models, the, the whole concept and idea of building these models in order to, you know, um, have the back, backdrop for the story. You know, there's so many different tools and so many different, you know, means and methods to be able to achieve this, but there's nothing out there that works the way that I think. And, and my focus isn't necessarily designing three-dimensional models. You know, um, it's coming up with uh, some cool ideas and everything. And then from there, you know, maybe coming up with some ideas for structures. You know, so here's a for instance. Let's say I've got an imaginary house that I want to build and everything. It hasn't been built and everything. Well, I can take a tool out there, you know, and uh, go and create a model model of a tool, maybe even a blueprint of a, uh, of a house or something like that that I want, and then from there to be able to feed it into a system like this and everything, which brings it to life, which I can actually then, in a virtual sense, walk through it, you know, and then from there tell my story. You know, the cool thing is I'll be able to focus on, you know, maybe increasing my skills with three-dimensional design and that kind of stuff, but more than that, I can take existing structures and tell parts of the story that I've already that I'm already thinking of and everything. In any case, I just think that would be really, really cool. 
So sorry for going on that tangent and everything, but uh, I just thought it was pertinent talking about uh, changes I'd make to the system and everything. Yeah, changes would most definitely include bumping up the sound capabilities, but taking Foundry and replacing it with something, upgrading it, you know, and basically making it so where a geek like me can actually tell new stories and have some fun with it and everything, too. You know, I mean, here's the thing, you know, Starfleet itself has some buildings that uh, just don't have entrances. You know, they don't have anything going on inside there. Well, what if you actually take the system, you've already got the external structure, so have it dynamically generate the internal structure and everything, and, you know, maybe lock one of those structures in. Boom. Now all of a sudden you've got different area for, you know, for storytelling and everything for everybody. You know, same thing holds true for any of these places and everything. You know, so, in any case, that's about it for now. I'll uh, continue later. I, uh... <sighs> I wrestled in high school. It didn't last long. I ended up uh, trying out for it my sophomore year, and ended up breaking my ankle outside of, uh, outside of it altogether playing basketball on New Year's Eve and everything. I I wasn't doing well with the wrestling altogether. And uh, while I could take one of the big guys, um, it was just a joke. It was just uh, one of those things that I just wasn't good at it. And um, I just ended up getting out of it pretty quick. But I came to gain a pretty healthy respect, you know, for, for these guys. And not just the moves, but for what I consider to be, you know, pretty deft um, body work and everything, you know, um, the training they put themselves through from a physical perspective all the way to the psychological stuff that they go through and everything to prep themselves up and everything, and um, it's definitely, in my opinion, not easy, and I, I learned that, that the lesson the hard way and everything when I was 15 and 16 years old. So, by the time I actually started paying attention to another form of wrestling, um, the WWE, um, Hulk Hogan and everything was on the scene. I didn't take it seriously, but I also kind of liked, um, I listened to the people that enjoyed it, and I always pushed off um, any sense of judging it because of that. And I realize, I mean, there's some, some decent people that actually came from it. And, you know, when it came down to it, it's so theatrical in its presence and everything that I, I found a, I mean, I can't say I ever really got into it myself, but hearing about that WWE world and that kind of stuff was always kind of interesting to me. So... Um, there's a, um, there, I'm watching this, um, another show called, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and in this, they have these time travelers that go back and forth across time and everything, and most, for the most part, they're there trying to repair history, make sure history happens the way it was written and everything, and make sure that uh, certain things occur and everything. And uh, in this case, they end up going back to 1910s and 1920s um, Mexico to more or less make sure that one of the founders of the luchas or whatever those guys are, the the men in mass in, uh, in Mexico and everything, which... Um, 
is pretty much the ancestry of WWE. I mean, if you could actually point your finger at um, what led to the WWE movement here in the United States, it is most certainly these guys, you know, these guys that appeared on backstages and that kind of stuff, and it was theatrics, and there were people in masks and crazy outfits and that kind of stuff doing over-the-shoulder, over-the-top theatrical type stuff and everything. And, um, you know, I never got into, you know, the whole um, movement altogether, but I, I've certainly shown some appreciation for it. You know, I mean, without hesitation, it's just like Hulk Hogan, you know, um, who's the Andre the Giant. You know, some really, you know, what I consider magnanimous people and everything have, have, have left an indelible footprint on this planet and everything. They've altered my life, fundamentally, um, just by their presence. You know, um, Hulk Hogan's a goofball, you know. Um, and, and while I say that uh, fundamentally they've altered it, they've contributed. You know, to the overall belief that I can be goofy and still be taken seriously. And, and when I'm taken seriously, it's okay that people think I'm goofy. You know, so, and it's just like, that's what WWE is. It's just a multi-billion dollar industry and everything. It's a worldwide thing, and it has its heritage in, in Mexico, and... and you know, when it comes down to it, it's the luchadors, these guys, you know, in my opinion, that, uh, that, you know, that ended up doing, going and doing what they did and everything in a theatrical way and everything. And, um, I like it. I mean, for me, it's, it's just been something I, I like the theatrics of it. And to some degree, that's actually what I like about, uh, about stage presentations altogether. You know, um, I, I've never been to WWE, but I've been to ice hockey, and I've been to basketball games, and I've been to football games and everything. And part of the, the boredom for me, you know, with those games and everything, is watching these guys do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, I never got into football in high school, um, and while I got into ice hockey, or uh, field hockey, you know, from a first-person perspective, and it was partially because I would run people over with my, my cousin and everything, um, for the most part, I just didn't really, you know, see the... I mean, I understand it, don't get me wrong, and the, the whole necessity for team sport and everything. I have nothing but respect for, but it's this type of thing that I've always kind of been an individual, and, you know, the individual within a team, um, with exceptions such as Mike, Michael Jordan, and, um, I mean, I love the names, you know, when a person rises above the team name, and they themselves become a hot commodity that's traded between teams and everything because their name is so powerful. That's that's what I like. You know, and that's that's why it's just like Michael Jordan. One thing I, I wanna do, you know, when I go back in time is go watch Michael Jordan play. Just flat out just watch him in person. I wanna see that fifty four point game. You know, um where it looked like he floated. You know, I I mean, I wouldn't mind just I mean, of all the games I can, I, I, you know, here's the thing.
sports to me is a hindsight. It's one thing getting the really cool place and everything, but it's entirely another, you know, going there and watching something on a TV and everything and saying, that's fucking remarkable. And to me, it'll be entirely something else to say, yes, I know this phenomenal play is going to be done. But I love the idea of just kicking back and watching this firsthand. Watching this amazing event, this amazing feat, you know, of humanity and everything. That's what I would love to do. That's among, uh, seriously, it's, there's, re you know, several reasons besides sex I want to travel, you know, through time and everything. You know, there's also reasons like this, where I've got destination locations, you know, things I want to see, you know, in time and everything. And it does involve, you know, some of the things I otherwise don't enjoy. And the reason is, you know, when it comes down to it, the whole, you know, just... Typically, you're waiting for these things to happen and everything, you know, these events to happen and everything, and, and when it happens, sure, it's just like, wow, I lived to tell the day and everything that I was there at that game. You know, I don't want to be that person. I would rather be the person that comes from the future, that goes back to that moment, and just basically relaxes in with the crowd and everything. You know, I'm part of the reason that the, that these crowds were selling out and everything. You know, I go back, uh, you know, I go forward in time, and while I didn't have an appreciation for sports, I had appreciation for key moments. And those key moments is certainly one like that. Seeing Charles Barkley play, seeing Shaq play, I might have a couple games that I'd go see for each one of those. You know, um... You know, but at one key moment, it's definitely the 54-point game by Michael Jordan. So, with that said, um, I found a black hole today. And uh, they've got something called Hawking's radiation and Hawking's particles. And uh, there's these entities that are collecting it. And I had to look it up what it does, and I still, you know, for lack of better memory, I'll, uh, I'll actually tell you what it does. Hawking radiation, Hawking particles. Let's. So the Hawking particle showed that uh, it's basically it's a quantum particle that's emitted by black holes um, as a particle antiparticle. So basically, it occurs when the explosion of particles and antiparticles come together. So more or less at the same transformation, supposedly, of, of basically waves and particles when they collide together and everything. And um, it uh, lowers the mass of the black hole in theory. But that's based on a dualistic universe. It's, this is a multiverse. You know, so it's while it's nice and dandy and everything, seeing this, you know, particle, antiparticle thing and being able to actually capture and gather some of these Hawking particles myself and everything, um, and also <laughs> subsequently get sucked into the black hole more times than I can count accidentally. Um, it's just, um, you know, kind of the fun. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I played with Hawking particles today. And, um, 
Anytime somebody tells you they're playing a video game, I'd like you to nod. Nod your head. And say, huh, that's cute. Because there's something you know about what they're doing. And that's that they're actually messing with the subatomic layer of reality itself when they're playing a video game. And while they may not know what they're doing, even if you tried to tell them, going to go in one ear or out the other. They aren't going to understand. And chances are consciously they'll never hear it. And when they do, when they do figure it out for themselves, it'll be cathartic. I guarantee you that. But it'll be kind of cool. So, in any case, no, this isn't a product of fiction. This is actual reality. I captured a couple Hawking's and uh, Hawking's particles today, and uh, messed around with Hawking radiation. Um, got sucked into a black hole a couple times and everything. Yeah, probably about 15 altogether. The event horizon and everything sucks you in and everything, and um, boom, you lose it. But that's okay. So, in any case. Um, Here's one of the weird things that ended up happening. I fought the, um, on the uh, outer edge of a black hole. There's something called a, uh, <sighs> I'm tired today. Hit the sack early today. Um, there's something called an event horizon. Now, in a general sense, when you pass that event horizon, there's really no escape from it. Um, material has a tendency to get shredded down into its into its separate particles, and at that point, it, um, it in a literal sense, it's like a whirlpool. Um, but consciousness itself survives it for the most part, depending on what you believe. And um, my consciousness will go in and out of a black hole like it's, you know, just basically like I'm touring. So I will never have any problems going through a black hole myself. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to see some weird things in the process. And uh, in this case here, at least on the screen, um, it was really kind of interesting, you know, because as I got closer um, to the event horizon and everything and just started passing through it, all of a sudden all the ships all around me started scattering in different locations and everything. You know, so it, it, it just gets incredibly glitchy from a digital perspective. That's the interesting thing. You know, it's like I'm watching, you know, a ship... You know, one ship is all of a sudden in 15 different positions and everything, which demonstrates what a black hole does, you know, so it slices you up. So from an internal perspective, looking out, it's like looking, you know, when you go to look up at the stars at night, you know, the reason they blink is just because of more or less gravity's effects, and for the most part, every planet exists within a black hole. And there's different levels of black holes. And don't go thinking that the galaxy and the universe is going to collapse and anything like that, because it's not going to happen. Not while I'm around. And um, in any case, it, uh, that when you're looking out, the stars that you see um, are actually not just one star. And it's not just space gas that's passing in front of you know, in front of it to cut, make it blink and everything. It's it's a little, um, you'll, you're seeing multiple different versions of the star 
Yeah, because for the most part, when you look out out uh, out at reality, you're still seeing kind of like the the equivalent of a digital slice. Now that digital slice is kind of cemented when it's it's surrounding you. Um, you see variances in this, like the mystery spot in California where gravity gets fucked up. You get um, you know you see it over in Bermuda Triangle, and it, they more or less you know it's one of those things that. Uh, these things do cause dilations in time and space on this planet. You also see it in tornadoes, you know, the formation in the eye of a tornado and everything. The super dense pressure is more or less a, um, a, a rip in the fabric of space and time that it has its lifespan and everything and will go away. And the same thing holds true for a hurricane, too. You know, the massive eye, the reason that uh, it's, you know, so calm on the internal and inside the eye of a hurricane is just because for all intents and purposes, you know, it's slicing up. It is a black hole just bouncing off the surface of this planet and everything. So, for the most part, you know, when these things form and everything, um, for the most part, you know, people are... Uh, the conscious mind itself has a tendency to be preserved, and the black hole itself, um, it's, they try to describe it as a one-way membrane, that's bullshit. It's, you can go in and out of a black hole. There's different kinds of black holes. There's wormholes that are very similar to the black hole and everything. Um, but each one has a tendency to slice reality. So it basically takes reality and more or less takes it from the analog form that it's typically in. And uh, it has a tendency to slice and dice it in much the same way a blender works and everything. So all of a sudden the space and time um, continuity for that where it's, going, where it's going through has a tendency to get chopped up. So it, it can it can, in a literal sense, create multiple different timelines by its occurring. And here's a for instance, um, Wizard of Oz. Dorothy. Yeah, let's wipe the slate clean on this one. Dorothy went into an alternate reality. That's what the tornado did. It sucked her into an alternate reality. Well, the lesson in this is, you know, I mean, this is just an example of what happens. Well, eventually this world found her conscious mind and pulled it right back and everything and, and disassociated the story from her and uh, called it fiction and all of a sudden she became an actress in a TV show and everything, or in a movie, you know, called Wizard of Oz, which became very famous and everything, you know, so to, to some degree her conscious mind came back to this reality. This reality is her calm zone and um, that's why she ended up coming back to it, you know, so when that ended up happening, um, you know, reality basically says, okay, you know, um, this, you know, she slipped into an alternate reality. So what happened was, at that point in time, um, when that tornado passed through Kansas and everything, it quite literally split open reality, creating two separate timelines. Number one was a plan, was the timeline that, uh, that tornado ended up going through Kansas and causing devastation. Number two was a timeline that involved Dorothy and her young mind and everything, which in a literal sense split and branched off. 
well, that didn't quite work, you know, the way it was supposed to and everything, and boom, it collapsed. That timeline collapsed back on, you know, to this planet and everything, and at that point um, created a difficulty for her re-entrance because maybe she was supposed to die, um, something like this was supposed to happen or something like that. So instead, this planet tells the story of the movie and creates the movie, lets her disassociate from the memories of this event and everything. She's a, um, and not only that, it might actually find that the deaths that occur from the tornado are less important than the contribution that this movie makes. And as a result, time itself literally gets altered and the record of that event either gets shifted in time to occur sometime else or completely removed altogether so that event never happened the whole Kansas tornado that actually caused this to happen to Dorothy never happened so as a result boom we've got a movie and a movie that has made phenomenal contributions to this you know to the to the development of this planet and everything so, in in any case, um, it's you know it, for me it's just um, I'm a little tired tonight, so I'm kind of droning on. But uh, I just wanted to mention that whole thing about the uh, the um, particles. The whole I'd never really believed in them, but uh, I do have to read that uh, that book and everything to see what Stephen Hawking is discussing when it comes down to the time thing and everything. I do need to hear alternative perspectives on time and everything other than my own, just to understand what peop some people want, what some people are promoting, what some people prefer me thinking, um, etc. So, anyways, I'm off for tonight. Have a good